This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, gang? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Andrew Patterson, Michael Remus with you for the next couple hours. And got a banger for you. Really, really looking forward to welcoming in a good friend of the program, a uh, a Winnipeg product that has uh, applied his trade as a pro for basically the last 20 years around the world after being a world junior hero back in the early 2000s. Of course, I'm speaking about Nigel Dawes who announced his retirement at the end of his season in Germany. We're looking forward to talking to Nigel about that World Junior experience, uh, his time in the National Hockey League, players that he played with, and then, of course, the uh, incredible career that he had as a KHL legend playing both in Kazakhstan and Russia before finishing up in uh, Germany. So that's going to be a real fun conversation to start things off. A little longer than normal, but then we will have... Mike McIntyre of the Winnipeg Free Press jump on, get Mike's thoughts on, uh, you know, a number of the local stories around. We'll certainly touch on the Jets offseason, what's happening in the NHL, as well as the Seabears starting their season and uh, their existence here in Winnipeg on the weekend. Mike also had a real interesting uh, article on, um, you know, some new things at Assiniboia Down. So we'll get to a number of topics, but we'll focus in, as usual, on the Winnipeg Jets offseason with Mike coming up a little later on. And with the Gold Eyes at home, great chance to catch up with manager Greg Taggart playing his first um, home games as the uh, new bench boss here in the peg. Gold Eyes with a big extra innings win last night to get it to 5-5 five and five on the season. Back to 500, 3-1. and one. Currently on the homestand, they're back at home tonight and then tomorrow, a school day game, 11 a.m. But uh, and we got 31 degrees for Friday and Sunday and one more series for the fish on this homestand. So get out to the ballpark if you haven't done it already. Just before we bring in Michael Remus, do want to thank the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. Princess Auto, Cool Bet Canada. Breezy Bend, Aikens Lake, Little Brown Jug, BP, Royal Sports, Consolidated Supply, Nick and Nicky DQ Group, F Apparel, Wallace and Wallace, Vita Health Fresh Market, Canadian Club Whiskey, Manitoba Battery, Aquatech, Modern Man, Assiniboia Downs, and our friends at the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. Let's get Michael Remus in here and get this show on the road. What's going on? Hey, just talking to everyone in chat here, ready for a great show. Pumped to hear from uh, Nigel Dawes. Coming up, what a what a legend, spending so much time playing in uh, the KHL, you know, representing uh, Kazakhstan at the Worlds. Uh, what a career. And when I saw that he officially hung him up, I was like, man, Huss, we got to get him on to talk about this because um, amazing. Some of the players he's played with, we're going to get to that. And you know, the places he's been, you know, for a pro hockey career. Yeah, no, and uh, I mean, it's such a great guy uh, and a guy that's still, you know, even... But whether he was overseas, whether he was on the Rangers or the Coyotes, the Calgary Flames, you know, always maintained Winnipeg as his home. And uh, back here, we'll also talk about what's coming uh, for him after his pro playing career. Now that he's back here in Winnipeg, no longer getting ready for another season of professional hockey. So Nigel Dawes will be coming up. But Remo, we may as well start off with the game last night. A lot to digest from the Vegas Golden Knights 4-0 shutout of the Dallas Stars. Um, this could not have gone much worse for Dallas. 
They give up a goal in the first, what, one minute and 10 seconds of the game. And then not even a minute later, Captain Jamie Ben with one of the dirtiest and unnecessary cross checks to the neck of Mark Stone, who is down on the ground. He gets a five-minute major. He's kicked out of the game. He will now have a hearing from NHL player safety, and uh, it just seemed like that sent the course for that game last night. Vegas composed in complete control of this series, and Dallas really led by their leader, the guy with the C on his chest, completely falling apart with no composure. And the only thing that maybe had less composure than the Dallas Stars and Jamie Benn was the Dallas Stars fans last night who completely lost it as well. I mean, disgraceful doesn't even come close to scratching the surface, I think, of that scene last night with all that garbage and crap thrown on the ice at the end of the second period after Max Domi lost it on Nick Haig and received a double minor and a 10-minute misconduct. And they needed to uh, cut the second period short so they could clean up all the garbage on the ice and uh, get ready to uh, add a few seconds onto the third period. Not a great night for the Dallas Stars if they wanted to get back into that series. Yeah, not too often you see a period with uh, over 20 minutes in the playoffs as they had to cut the second period short. And we thought Dallas had a great chance again. They had Jay Gottinger, and you know they've been, you played two overtime games, but when your captain sets the tone, I know when you're down a goal by cross-checking Mark Stone on the neck, um, it, you know, you get the five-minute major, and Vegas is a good team to make you pay, and they certainly did. And, you know, after the game, you know, we talked a lot about accountability. Jamie Ben opting to go right to the car and leave. I mean, I, I kind of get it, Huss. You know, you're in the heat of the moment. Maybe you're fired up. You have a hearing for sure, and you don't want to say anything to get you in trouble. But he came out today, and you're, everyone's wondering, why would Jamie Ben do this? His quote tweeted by Sean Shapiro was, I would have liked to not fall on him and use my stick as a landing point. Ben on what he would have liked to do different in that situation. Remind me of a lot of that time Happy Gilmore said that he broke a rake and throw it into the woods because it was made of wood and he wanted it to be with his family. That's like, you know, you're seeing a lot of great, great replies on that, again, you'd like to see the captain come up and be like, "Hey, man, I I screwed up or something." At least we'll wait and see what the you know we'll wait and see what the hearing what the results of that hearing are. But I would imagine that he's not going to be in lineup for Game Four. Listen, just put yourself in NHL player safety shoes. Now, again, it's a pretty interesting group of individuals that are doling out the suspensions and punishments at NHL HQ, which um, certainly had a bit of a rap sheet of their own. But can you imagine going in and saying, Jamie, what, uh, like, what the hell was that? That was really dangerous. Um, you know, you got yourself kicked out of the game. What do you have to say for yourself? Well, listen, I just fell on him and unfortunately used my stick as a landing point. <laughs> I mean, I would laugh you out of the room, or I guess it's a pro it's a phone call. It'll be a phone hearing for Jamie, Ben. Um, but as far as leaving after the game, I mean, yeah, obviously a bad look. Although I did hear Merrick talking about this earlier, and I kind of do agree. I mean, you know, if they had just gotten embarrassed and he played a terrible game and didn't want to talk, I mean, that's bad. 
I wouldn't have been surprised that the Dallas Stars said, no, no, we don't want you talking right now until you first talk to NHL player safety. Although they probably should have said something as much as to why the captain wasn't facing the music after being such a central figure in such a big loss for the team at home last night. Uh, what do we think he's going to get? There's our why not question of the day for not Autocorp. Get us up in the chat. What will he get? I think he's gone for two games for sure, uh, which may very well be mean that like Mark Shifley, he'll be playing the, uh, he'll be sitting in the press box for next year's home opener. Uh, because after last night's game, I'm not even sure this series gets back to Dallas. It gets back to Vegas. I think that's too. Like, I just go by the baseline. You know, I thought we set a new baseline with Mark Shafley getting four for his hit on Jake Evans. Very clear that was an aberration. Um, I think it just, like, as the playoffs go on, I think you just feel more and more dumb about that or more, I don't know, like, unfortunate about that suspension. Um, and looking back on it, because I think there have been worse plays and, you know, more egregious. Like, Mark Stone was fine. He didn't get carried off on a stretcher, so I don't think they're going like, to come down too hard. But I think they should. I think they got to start punishing the act more than the result. And you can't take your stick and two-hand a guy in the neck so, while he's down. That's while he's down. So, um I don't know. Like, I think he should get four games, but he's probably going to get, like, will he get one? They're probably going to count the, the one game as the five-minute misconduct. <laughs> That's That was the one game, so maybe he'll get, get one game. I think he should probably get, like, four, but you, you just can't do that. It's, it's, like, that's, what a dumb play you by know, a guy. You bring up a great point. You bring yeah. up a great point, and I actually had not thought of that, about that. That happened so early in the game. Yes. I would not put it past NHL player safety to almost feel like, well, that was a big game. It was important. It was the playoffs. Maybe he's paid his price. $2,500 fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, like, like, you don't know. You don't know. And I like, I don't think that's going to happen. But if they actually did $2,500, but yeah, I mean, this is about par for the course with, quote, player, player safety. So... We'll see what happens. I think he'll get a couple. He's probably gone for the rest of the series. Um, unfortunate way to go out for Dallas, who had played so well and I think has a promising future. But you know, Vegas—they're just—they're—I don't know—they're too—they're too good. Hus, they've just gone through everyone. And you know, I picked against them against Edmonton. I, you know, I thought Dallas was going to take him. And you know, with Aiden Hill or Brossois, doesn't matter. In goal, they've been able to make it work, taking down these great goalies, Hellebuck. Ottinger, and well, Stuart Skinner too, and I guess they might end up going against against Bob. What a what a murderous row of goalies that would be if Vegas did go to the final and play Florida. Well, and, and when you think that, I mean, I think a lot of us thought not that in the Edmonton series, Lauren Brassois was playing particularly well, but if Lauren Brassois was their best guy and he got knocked out, I mean, what did they have behind him? Well, they've had a guy that has stepped up big time. I mean, Aiden Hill, and this is credit to the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, I can't think of any of these games, even last night. I mean, yeah, I did get maybe a little fortunate on a couple of posts early in the first period that maybe could have changed the game. But Aiden Hill has been up to the task and the challenge in pretty much every single game that he's played. And, you know, we've talked a lot about and will continue to talk about goaltending uh, and how crucial it is to get it. And... 
listen, there is a path to winning cups and, you know, winning and being a great team without having that high-priced goaltender. But I think there's also a lot of luck and good fortune involved in it. And the Vegas Golden Knights are a great example of that. I mean, they don't have the one guy, but they got a bunch of guys. And, you know, when you have a team playing the way Vegas is in front of their guy, um, they put him in a chance to, 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 to succeed. And Aiden Hill... I mean, how could he be in a better spot right now, Remus, going into unrestricted free agency at the end of this season, getting a chance to play behind this Vegas Golden Knights team with all the hockey world watching watching him and uh, putting up the results that he's had, including a shutout last night against the Dallas Stars? Yeah, I mean, joked after the game, was asked about the stuff, the popcorn or whatever that's being thrown on the ice. He said, I guess everything was hitting me. Tonight, that was... You know you're feeling it when you drop that line, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was feeling pretty good. It's funny because all of Vegas is... Well, not not Logan Thompson. He's He's got uh, one more year. Sorry, two more years after this one. And Brossois a UFA. Aiden Hill's a UFA. Jonathan Quick's a UFA. So you wonder what's going to happen with their goalie situation. And, you know, a lot of talk about Vegas saying how they... You know, we're gifted this great team by the expansion draft. We've got to give credit to them for making some shrewd moves. And Travis Yost tweeted these out yesterday, and I retweeted it. Guys making an impact this series. Chandler Stevenson, they acquired him for a fifth-round pick. That uh, might be one of the biggest steal trades in yeah. the league in the last decade. Yeah, that um, they claimed Michael Amadio. Remember, he scored the overtime winner in Game 3 against the Jets. Yeah, claimed him off waivers. He's played a big role for them. You know, Mark Stone got traded, what, uh, Lindbergh, Brandstrom, and a pick. Like, that's not, didn't, didn't turn out to be a huge cost for them. And, and Again, Jonathan Marchessault. Was, so, he like, was, it was a trade deadline asset. Yeah. Everybody knew, as much as I know there's a lot of people saying, oh, the Jets blew it by not getting him. Everybody knew Mark Stone was signing with the Vegas Golden Knights in the summer. Um. So, I mean, it was one of those spots where, hey, do you want to get him now? This is what we're willing to pay. They got him at that point, and, you know, they 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 moved on after that. But, I mean, realistically, um, that was not uh, – a lot – there is some revisionist history as to, you know, all the teams that blew it by not getting Mark Stone. Mark Stone was finishing up that Senators contract and signing with the Vegas Golden Knights. Talked to a ton of people – you know, in the hockey world, it basically said that that was a fait accompli beforehand. The relationship with Kelly McCrimmon and Mark Stone goes back to his Brandon days. He wanted to be there, and um, they ended up making it happen a little earlier, so they got him for that playoff run. But, I mean, they had basically played that price for him almost as a rental, even though everyone knew that, you know, they'd have a very good chance of re-signing him at the end of the season. Yeah, and the other one, you know, draw the margin, so he keeps making an impact for them. You know, they got Marcheseau and the, you know, Florida gave Riley Smith to Vegas as well because they wanted to uh, protect Alex Petrovic. They wanted to protect 4D. And so they lost two. They gave Petrovic, away two. that was the guy that they wanted to he protect? He was the 4D, yeah, because oh they had God. him signed. He's a big guy. He signed to a contract. I don't think he played much after that. But I think, I wonder if that'll be a storyline if it's a Florida-Vegas. Uh, Riley Smith and Marcheseau against their former team. but. Um, you know, we'll probably talk a lot about them if they make the cup final. But uh, that's, you know, you're going to be looking at how was this team built. And here they are one game away 
you know, for their what? How crazy is this to say? Second Stanley Cup final appearance? Us? They've had six seasons. Well, I mean, listen, they did it in the first year at the expense of the Winnipeg Jets, which I know is still a sore spot for a lot of people listening to this program and talking on this program. Um, but, you know, credit where credit is due. And, and here's something, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. I have never been one to, and I still sort of dispute the notion that certain players of particular nationalities are better than others. Like, you know, a lot of people talk with the Jets have too many American players or... You know, for a long time, it was all, they've got too many Swedes or whatever. And I think great players are great players. But I do think there is something to be said for the amount of, never mind Manitoba content, but Canadian content on the the Vegas Golden Knights. I think they've got 17 Canadian players. And when you look at guys that step up in the postseason, that maybe play above their means, that, uh, I, I guess I am coming around to maybe having a little bit more time for the argument mm-hmm. that a few more Canadian players in a roster of a team like the Winnipeg Jets might actually help. But now, you can't just get on a team because of your passport. That will never be the case. But over and over again, we see so many of those guys step up at the most important times. The St. Louis Blues were a perfect example of yes. that as well in 2019. I mean, they had... I don't know, was it eight? It was basically the same thing, 17 or 18 players and uh, on that group. And listen, I don't have a reason why that is the case, but you know, year after year, we see more examples of it. And I think the Vegas Golden Knights, you know, in addition to, you know, very well-built team, a great head coach that gets the most out of his, uh, out of his club in Bruce Cassidy. Um, that, as I said, I've got a little bit more time for the argument that maybe a little more Canadian content on a team like Winnipeg might make a team a little bit more difficult to play against come playoff time and maybe avoid performances like, unfortunately, the Jets have had uh, as they finished their last three playoff runs with um, you know some of the ugliest and most lifeless performances to finish up their seasons. It's hard you know, not to look at the Vegas... Golden Knights roster and front office without noticing the Manitoba and Canadian content. We've talked so much about, you know, Kelly, Kelly McCrimmon, Kelly McCrimmon coming in as GM from Brandon, what they've built in Vegas. But yeah, I mean, the, we talk all the time, Mark Stone, uh, Zach Whitecloud, Keegan Colasar, uh, Brad Howden, and guys who've stepped up for them and the players who are from Manitoba. And, you know, we haven't had too many Manitoba players. And like, I, I think a player is a good player. It doesn't matter about what their nationality is. But I think for Winnipeg, who's had, you know, lately, you know, trouble keeping guys, um, you know, if that is, that's a concern for them, you know, maybe you would be better off picking guys who are from Canada or the area who would well, want to play a bit extra for the logo on the crest and not want to jump at the first opportunity. So I think, hey, I think that's a thing people are talking about. But the bottom line is good players are good players, but we are seeing... Some of these guys, like Brett Howden, uh, he's really, that's a guy who's really raised uh, his stock in this playoffs, and we saw it firsthand here in the first-round series. Yeah, I mean, he's already with his third organization. I mean, he, I remember mm-hmm. being at the draft. He was drafted, I think, 30th by the Tampa Bay Lightning out of Oak Bank, Manitoba, um, and then was in, uh, you know, a traded to the Rangers as part of a package in a bigger deal. Um, and now, you know, he's there with the uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights and stepping up in the playoffs and proving his worth night in and night out. And 
And listen, I, I, I know. So I think Doug Phil said hustler cherry. I saw yeah, that. Like, let's let's not go that far. Yeah. Um, <laughs> be careful, and, and, hustler. We don't want you to get canceled here. Yeah. No. No. Listen. This is there'll be nothing xenophobic coming out of this edition of WST today. Um, but I mean, I think there's something to be said about the style of playoff hockey, and you know, the fact that certainly a lot of junior players. I mean, those of us that were glued to the ice throughout the playoff. Uh, the playoffs. I mean, we've even seen the Western Hockey League change. And I'll say this. I think the super elite young hockey players in Canada are probably just as coddled as, you know, American players. I don't have enough knowledge about what they get, you know, how things work over in Europe or overseas. But I'm not necessarily talking about your star players, your first liners. I'm talking about more the depth players of the uh, of the club. And that's why, I mean, I think when we look at guys that really stepped up and stood out with the Winnipeg Jets, you know, in the postseason, who was everyone talking about? They were talking about Morgan Barron. They were talking about Adam Lowry. And, um, you know, the term, I think it was, this was used, I mean, it was maybe Brendan Shanahan or someone when they were talking about the new Leafs GM. They were looking for a little bit more bite in the club. Um the Winnipeg Jets, I think, need more bite in their roster. And to be honest, I think there's a good amount of uh, good amount of bite in some of that Canadian depth talent that uh, that might help the Winnipeg Jets going forward. All that being said, um, you know, we'll get to that maybe with Mike McIntyre coming up a little bit later on, uh, as well as a list of potential free agents that the Jets might be looking at signing if they do have to part or feel that they are in the best interest to part with one or both of their top two centers who the heck is going to play in the middle if they don't have similar pieces coming back which I think is somewhat unlikely so we will get to that coming up in a little bit when Mike McIntyre joins us but Nigel Doss is going to jump on with us right away uh as I said tonight do or die for the Carolina Hurricanes and you know we'll talk about it a little bit later on when we do the cool bet lines but uh we can't have two sweeps in this in the conference finals, can we? Well, Celtics prevented it from being two sweeps in the NBA last night with a pretty gutsy performance when a lot of people, myself included, had written them off. I mean, we've got a series in the hoops right now. But uh, just before we get to our conversation with Winnipeg's Nigel Dawes, our friends at Modern Man are now up to eight locations in Winnipeg with Modern Man Barbershops. And Modern Man Plessy is hosting a grand opening event on Sunday, May 28th. Was it the grand opening event for the Pemina uh, uh, location a couple of weeks ago? Got a great cut, had a great lunch as well. Here's what you need to know. From 12 to 5 p.m. at Modern Man Barbershop Plessy, you'll receive a haircut for $9 with proceeds to Prairie Wildlife Rehab Center. Plus... The first 100 people get a free lunch from their neighbors at Crave Kitchen and Deli. Visit their Instagram at Modern Man Barbershops for more info. Of course, Modern Man offers haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. You can book your look via modernmanbarber.com. But if you do need a cut and you're out in the east side of the city, check out the grand opening event at Modern Man Plessy on Sunday from noon to 5 p.m. Man, we're going to hit 30 degrees on the weekend again. Great time to think about making 2023 the year you take the plunge with AquaTech. Visit aqua-tech.ca to design your own custom pool. Their team can provide on-the-spot pricing from designers as well as financing options that suit you. 
And with whole home renovation started Aquatech as well. With thousands of renos as their foundation, let Aquatech upgrade any space in your home. Aquatech's ready to make your reno dreams a reality. Learn more about design, pricing, and financing options at aqua-tech.ca. I was talking to Donnie last night at Manitoba Battery. Man, they are booming heading into the summer. May long weekend's the official kickoff to summer, but the kickoff to summer sale at Manitoba Battery has been extended for one more week. So all you campers, boaters, cabin goers, and golfers looking to take advantage of the best prices in town on batteries, you got another week to do it. Deep cycle batteries start at 105 bucks. Six volt golf cart batteries are 170 bucks, and eight volts are 180. And in all cases, you'll get an additional refund back of 10 to 17 bucks for your old batteries when they're returned. And they can be delivered within the perimeter at no extra cost. Compare with any of the big box stores, not only will you have to wait in line, but also pay 30 to 50 bucks more per battery. Shop local and take advantage of the most convenient battery buying experience in Manitoba and the best prices at Manitoba Battery. Sale goes until Saturday, May 27th. For more information, go to manitobabattery.com or pop down and see him at 1026 Logan Avenue. And uh, we got Bomber preseason football coming up this weekend. It is on the road in Edmonton. I was actually just talking to Dusty um, doing the lock shop. He will be calling the game. We'll let you know more about how you can watch it. It will be streamed for free. And then, of course, the Bombers back here on uh, next Friday, I believe, June 2nd for their home preseason game. And when we're there... You know, we'll be tipping a little Canadian club, Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey, and the official spirit of the Blue Bombers and Winnipeg Sports Talk. Make sure to check out your local beer vendor or Manitoba Liquor Marts as well for Canadian Club and Ginger Ale premix cocktails now in 473 milliliter cans. Uh, and of course, Canadian Club is available at all of your favorite Manitoba Liquor Marts. All right. Mike McIntyre coming up. We'll uh, hit a number of topics with Mike, including the Jets offseason and the makeup of the club. But right now, had a chance a little earlier to catch up with Winnipeg native, former world junior hero, over 200 games in the NHL, and a legend in the KHL, Nigel Dawes, about his career, which he just wrapped up at the end of the German season. Here's Nigel Dawes on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Nigel, man, great to uh, great to have you on the program, and congratulations on an incredible career. Uh, how hard was it to say uh, no, Moss? You're not going back next season. Um, I don't know. I think as you're growing up playing, you always have these different uh, things go through your mind of how it's going to end. But as you get older, you you start to realize there's more to it than just you. Uh, it's not always just your decision, but um, you know, I started to listen to my body, and and uh, my son's getting older, and we kind of wanted to have him. Uh, full-time at home and, and in a structured uh, kind of environment. Um, let's go back. I mean, I think most people are quite familiar with you, but I mean, a Winnipeg native, grew up uh, playing here in the city before moving on to be a WHL and a World Junior star. Uh, oh, where did you pick up the game? Tell us just a little bit about Nigel Dawes as a kid getting involved and uh, obviously playing at a high level that took you on the, the path that you went. Yeah, I think like any Canadian kid, you just grew up watching hockey. And I was watching hockey on TV all the time. I was up early watching all the highlights and just kind of fell in love with the game. Uh, tons of street hockey. I uh, learned how to skate at a young age, but I, I wasn't the best skater at that time. I think I first started playing hockey when I was about five years old. And at six, I didn't play. I just I 
good to have the best time at five. And then after six, I was like, okay, I'm going to try it again at seven and something just clicked. And, um, I was, I was a lot better player, a lot better skater. And, uh, from there, I never really looked back. So this is in fact, your second retirement. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Hopefully this one lasts longer than a year. <laughs> um, where did you play? Like, where did you grow uh, up? Where played, did you I, play before heading to the dub? I, I play, I grew up in St. Vitale and I played out of Dakota for, for my, my young years and then uh, graduated onto the St. Vitale Victorias and then to the Winnipeg Warriors and then uh, off to the Kootenai Ice. At what point was, um, you know, playing at, you know, in, even at the Western Hockey League sort of on your radar? Was that something that, you know, in the years leading up, you sort of knew was going to be an opportunity? Um, yes and no. Uh, I mean, even up to the first time I went to, to camp, uh, I wasn't really sold yet on going to the WHL. Um, you know, we were going, I think my 16 year old year, we were getting ready to leave and I kind of called them and said, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to come. I'm just going to kind of wait and maybe go to college. And they're like, well, I'll just come out and see if you like it. And went out there and, and made the team and liked it and ended up staying. So, um, so yeah, it was definitely on your radar, especially as a Western Western kid, um, you know, college wasn't as big of a thing for us uh, growing up. I think now it's definitely more on people's radars and it's definitely also a great path that you, you can go. You know, you got, to, I mean, I'm just thinking about that first year, first full year with the Kootenai Ice, who of course ironically ended up becoming the Winnipeg Ice afterwards. Uh, you know, some pretty you know familiar names. I mean, Jared Stoll, of course, Jason Jaffrey was such a big part of the Moose for a long time. Uh, and you guys had quite a playoff run that year as well. I mean, that was uh, kind of certainly had a great way to uh, introduce yourself to uh, the Western Hockey League. And uh, I mean, the experience as a 16 year old would have been incredible, I'm sure. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, you you don't really know what what all goes into it and how long a season is playing. I think we were playing 72 games and, uh, you know, how, how long of a toll that takes on you. But, you know, we had a great team, great uh, leadership group. And, you know, we won the won the championship and then we're uh, lucky enough to win the Memorial Cup as well. Yeah, pretty uh, set the bar high for your. I thought it was going to happen all the time, but uh, <laughs> uh, clearly that's not the case. You uh, I mean, tell us, I mean, two years as a member of um, Team Canada, at the World Juniors. And, and listen, I mean, there's something special about that tournament, I think, for all Canadians. But, uh, you know, for a kid from Winnipeg, uh, you know, with the path that you took, um, I mean, the first year you were a real standout. I think we had six goals and six games and 11 points. But it's that second year winning the gold medal on, I mean, arguably the most stacked team ever must have been, uh, I mean, an incredible experience. Yeah, it really was. And I think it, it made it even better because of, you know, how we lost the year before. I mean, we, we should have won that year as well and in Helsinki. And that was a great tournament, uh, you know, for me personally. But uh, I remember the next year a lot more, even though I didn't have as many points and maybe not play as a prominent role. But uh, we had such a, a deep team and such a great team. And uh, from day one, when we got together, we all knew it was business. And uh, I think we had about 15 guys returning maybe from the year before. So um, we all still had that sour taste in our mouth and uh, we, didn't, we didn't want that to happen again. Uh, if I do recall correctly, after uh, winning south of the border, the uh, the cup and the champions mm-hmm. came across. Uh, what do you remember about uh, about about maybe celebrating that championship back here in your hometown uh, after winning it in Grand Forks? Yeah, um, the drinking age is a little bit uh, younger in Winnipeg than it is in Grand Forks, so uh, it was nice when we finally got got home. Uh, you know, I think we we might have went to Earl's and. Had a nice night with uh, with the cup. Uh, I remember a lot of guys were going straight from the party to the airport to catch their flights. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great time, and 
it was fun to, to be able to do it so close to home. Sunglasses on, fellas, on the way to yeah. James Richardson <laughs> yeah. International. What uh, that is such a big event as far as the um, the spotlight uh, on all of the young players. I mean, you go from playing, you know, probably being a big deal in Kootenay or you know wherever you're playing junior hockey to really being household names across the country. I mean, for that, what did that do for you? Just as far, I mean, you're a pretty quiet, reserved dude. Um, I imagine you were getting a lot more recognized everywhere you went. I mean, uh, how did that maybe change the way uh, your your life was as a hockey player after being on those two teams representing Canada? Um, I wasn't getting as much more. Um, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing that helped me was that next summer was getting uh, – getting into the bars in Winnipeg with a, with a Team Canada card. So that, that that was definitely nice for me and my friends. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, yeah, it's it's always nice to to win and uh, to be part of those teams because I know growing up as a kid, you're watching those over, over the Christmas holidays and then to be a part of that and the first year being, you know, so far away in, in Finland and then the next year being so close, um, having pre, pre-tournament in Winnipeg and then uh, going to Grand Forks and having – you know, tons of family and friends uh, coming across to watch. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, was, I played so far away my junior hockey in BC that, you know, a lot of my family and friends don't, didn't get a, a chance to see me play a lot. So I think it was really special for them to be able to, you know, see all those games throughout the whole tournament and and, and kind of see, I mean, I guess it was just close to the end of my junior career, but uh, it was a great, great time. You know, I mean, as interesting as the as the games are and the winning, I have to ask you one more about the World Juniors, and it's about going to the camp. I, I, I mean, in the first year before you had played, and I know you had played, I believe, in the under-18s and, you know, had a, a good experience with Hockey Canada before and won a gold medal. But, I mean, the World Juniors sort of on another level. What do you remember about getting the call that you were invited to try out for the team? What were those camps like? And, and what was it like the first time saying, Nigel, you're going to wear the red and white at Christmas? Um, honestly, I don't remember a lot about it. I mean, I know it's always on your radar. So I know we were excited. Uh, I think the first camp was in Toronto, Kitchener, maybe around there. Um, and yeah, I mean, just go ahead and kind of go in there and you're, you're, you're doing your all. I mean, I think they they cut pretty close. You have a, you have a decent idea going in, you know, talking to your agents or coaches, uh, before you, you get in there that, um, you know, how, how good of a chance you, you may or may not have. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to make it as an 18 year old. And then I was, I was really fortunate to play, uh, with Mike Richards and Anthony Stewart. And we just really clicked as a line uh, right away. So, uh, we had a great, great tournament and, uh, we were able to play together the next year as well. Now, uh, Nigel Dawes with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk. I mean, you finish off a great junior career with the the gold medal and a silver medal in the World Juniors. You move on, you get your feet wet as a pro with the Hartford Wolfpack as a draft pick of the New York Rangers. Uh, what was it like getting the call to uh, play game number one in the show? Um, yeah, I was lucky because I, I knew I was going to play, I think a day or two before my first game. So I was able to, uh, you know, my parents flew out and they were in the building to watch the the first game and it was at MSG. So, um, yeah, it was a dream come true. Uh, the year before I I had a pretty good uh, year in the AHL, but you didn't get called up and it's probably, probably good. Sometimes if you get those calls a little too early, you might not, uh, it might not go as well or, or you might not be ready. So, um, but yeah, I kind of kind of took that and soaked it all in, and um, you know, it, it was it was I guess kind of the end of, of of the journey getting to the NHL, and then you know the, the beginning of another one, you know, starting pro hockey and trying to stay in the NHL. 
Well, and, and I mean, I, uh, that leads us to, I mean, next two years, you would you had uh, 61 games the next season with 14 goals and 52 the following. Um, you know, for a guy that has always been a star on their team, you know, coming up, I mean, which is the case for pretty much everyone that's in the National Hockey League. But was it like realizing that you were there playing on an everyday basis and the challenge to, you know, to prevent some other young guy coming up and take your spot? Um, I, I definitely think that's the hardest part of, of hockey is the consistency aspect because everybody's so good, everybody's skilled, everyone can play at that level. It's just how many – I mean, you see the superstars who are at a completely different level, but the guys who are you know have long NHL careers are, are the guys who play the most consistent game in, game out. You know, their their bad game is only like you know like a B minus as opposed to like maybe a C or a D, and that's and that's when you kind of get in trouble, especially as a as a young kid. So it's just trying to like keep bring different things to, to the game, to the team uh, when, you know, maybe you're not scoring or, or things aren't going your way. So, um, you know, that was, that was the toughest uh, part for me was to, to bring that consistency. Cause you know, when I was playing well, I, I knew I could play there and I, I was, you know, scoring and, and doing what uh, I had always done. But, you know, when I wasn't totally on my game, I think there was a lot of uh, defic- deficiencies in my game and uh, that kind of hurt me. You know, I'm just looking at this. I mean, your full rookie season uh, with the Rangers, you're getting in 61 games after playing eight the year before, but you are a rookie. And I'm looking at these names. Yarmer Yager, Chris Drury, Brendan Shanahan, Sean Avery. I, what, what was that locker room like? And what was it like being in a, as a rookie? I mean, with so many, I mean, legends and future Hall of Famers. Yeah, it was definitely a different game because I think we had two or three guys under 22. Like it wasn't like it is now where, you know, half the team's that age. Um, so it was definitely a different vibe. I mean, you got the the older guys who have been in the in the league for, you know, years. And, um, you know, they it was it was great to watch them. I mean, you know, Shani and, and even Mar- I think Martin Straka, uh, Michael Nylander, uh, you know, Lundqvist was just starting out. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was cool. As looking back, I mean, Yager's still playing, which is absolutely crazy. And uh, um, but you learn so much from them. I uh, was able to sit beside Marcus Naslin in in the dressing room, and I mean, he's just one of the the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Uh, what was Yager like at that point in his career? Um, I think he was similar throughout his whole career. I mean, he's always out uh, working in the afternoon. Uh, he had a, a couple of quirky drills, but I mean, for those things, he it worked for him. And his stick was so long, but he was so strong on the puck and the size of his legs and his ass. I mean, you could not get him out. Like you, uh, you couldn't move him off the puck. And uh, he 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 works works hard so much and uh, and nonstop. And I think that's something uh, one reason why he's still playing to this day it, it was the work from Jagger. was it more just how much he loved the game or i mean he realized that he was a professional this was his job and literally was a guy that did absolutely everything he could do to uh, get the most out of what uh, what he was given i think both i mean he definitely loves hockey i mean you the only reason you're still playing at this age is because you love it because i mean it, it does become a grind in the in in your later years and um but he he knew he, the effort and the, the the work he had to put into to be one of the the best all time, and um, you know you don't come across a lot of those players all the time. Well, Yager and you know, Shani are Hall of Famers. Sean Avery certainly is a Hall of Fame shit disturber. Uh, what yeah. <laughs> what was Avery like on and off the ice? I mean, did you remember him, and how much did he get under the skin of uh, the guys on the other side of the rink? 
Yeah, he's definitely he's definitely someone you want on your team. But you know, he is a good hockey player, and he's really good at at um, you know the role he played. Whether he was you know trying to score goals or you know trying to get other, under people's skin, but um, he was he was living living in New York. He he enjoyed that. He was he's involved in a lot of different things uh, as a young kid. Uh, you know, he wasn't really hanging out with us as much, but, um, you know, he, I remember his skating. It was so, so smooth and, uh, you know, he was really, really fast skater. And I mean, the fans at the garden love him and he, he brought that energy every game. You know, uh, after moving on, uh, you had a quick stop in Phoenix, but ended up with uh, a really one of your best seasons as an NHLer with the Calgary Flames. Uh, you know, I'm looking down the list. I mean, obviously, it starts with Jerome McGinley, who, uh, you know, at that point was what, 32 in the prime of his career. Um, and I imagine that would have been a really cool season because, I mean, Calgary is a little closer to here. A lot more friends and family could have seen your game. I mean, uh, what was it like playing that year for the Calgary Flames? Oh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was uh, it's definitely a different feel playing in a Canadian city, and uh, I'm glad I, I got that opportunity to, to experience that. Um, but, yeah, the team in general was – I mean, I, I think I started the season uh, playing on a line with Iggy, and, uh, you know, he's just – world class uh from from the start to the finish he one of the hardest workers he's he demands a lot from his uh teammates and uh just someone really good to to learn from uh and you know just as nice a guy as uh as he is a good player you know the year before atlanta moved here to winnipeg you did play a little bit with there i mean I, it wasn't a long time but um, obviously we here and most of our listeners are uh, intimately familiar with that group that became the Winnipeg Jets the next year. Um, what stood out about, uh, and, and maybe, I mean, obviously we start off with a guy like Buff, but both as a yeah. teammate for a bit, but also playing against him. I mean, uh, he's a one of one, I think to say the least. Yeah, he is. And I, I've, I've known Buff for a long time. I played hockey against him when, uh, yeah, I think we were maybe 10 or 11 years old and he was, uh, he was already a beast then. And he's, uh, he's so much fun to watch. I mean, I think everybody can agree that uh, you miss seeing him out there playing and uh, he just brought uh, brought a game that no one else could could bring I mean he he was one of a kind and he could uh, literally turn the game by himself whether it was a a big hit or a big goal Um, so yeah he's uh, it's a a lot of fun to watch and as much as he was I mean an incredible player that did things no one else could do when you talk to guys that played with Buff and that know him well uh, they're usually talking more about the character that Dustin Bufflin yeah. is as much as the guy blowing up dudes on the ice every night. Yeah, he, he I mean, he's one of the happiest guys you could you'd meet. He'd go around and he's always in a good mood and always, uh, you know, messing around. So he, he'd always bring the level of uh, lighting the mood up in the room. Uh, Nigel, after the 2011 season, you uh, make the decision to go over to the KHL to start an incredible new chapter of your, your career. How did it happen? What were your thoughts on going there? How did they get you to do it? I mean, you fill us in on what was going through your head when you decided to move from North America at that point and uh, go overseas. Um, that year, I played uh, four, on four teams. So I was a month, I started with Atlanta, and then I was playing Chicago with the Wolves for a while, and then got traded to Montreal and played a few games there, and then uh, with Hamilton. And I think it was around Christmas time or just after I was talking to my agent. He, he had been getting a few calls and. Um, I was playing with Dustin Boyd at the time and we were kind of similar spots in our career. And um, we just said, Hey, maybe like, maybe something we look into and even better, we're playing on a line right now. Maybe we can get, uh, get on the same team and, and go and, you know, try and tackle this together. And uh, we were able to get something done. And uh, yeah, it was just, I guess, try something new was, was kind of what it was. And 
Um, I, I was at the start was like, okay, I'm going to go check it out for a year or two and uh, like see how it goes. And I mean, we I ended up staying for 10 years. So it was, uh, it was definitely a decision that, uh, that I'm glad I made. And I don't regret it one bit. I mean, I think I probably could have stuck it out. I had a really good year in the AHL that year. Uh, maybe tried to make a team out of camp the next year or, or kind of get play that kind of up and down uh, role again. But um, yeah, I was just kind of looking for something different. Well, I mean, you go over there, and I mean, it's a, it really is a legendary career in the KHL. Certainly, I believe for an import, would have to be amongst, if not the best. Um, you go to Astana Barris. Where is that, and what uh, what were your first impressions of uh, going to the KHL? Well, it's uh, it's in Kazakhstan, and uh, I talked to a few people that had, had played played on that team and and played in the league before. And uh, the best advice I got was just kind of come in open minded, and if you kind of had an open mind, you were able to be kind of pleasantly surprised. I mean, some things you definitely were a lot different and you're still going to have the culture shock. But um, I think if you're, you're open to kind of accepting new things and, and different ways of things working, I think uh, it can, it can help uh, help you adjust a little bit and be able to spend a little bit longer time in the league. There's a lot of guys that go over there that, I mean, don't see anything like the success that they've had at different levels in North America. Uh, you were certainly not one of those guys. I mean, it really seemed to click right off the bat. And then, uh, I mean, you just took it from there. I mean, uh, did it surprise you just how well you fit in in that group? And I mean, seven years, no one goes to a team thinking that, oh, I'm going to be here for the better part of the next decade. But um, I mean, you really became a mainstay in a lot of ways and one of the faces of that franchise and the league, frankly. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it took probably a whole year to kind of get comfortable. Uh, every time I started to get comfortable, uh, the first year we had a, a national team break, so we'd have a maybe about two weeks between games, and we'd do another mini training camp, and then I just kind of get sent back to, to square one. But um, yeah, it's an adjustment. Uh, the biggest thing that you don't aren't able to control are, are who you're going to play with, and you know I was very fortunate that I got to play with imports and also you know guys that I clicked well with in Dustin Boyd and Brandon Bachensky. So um, I think we played, ended up playing six years together and um, we were really good as, as a line together. And uh, that definitely helped my career. And without them, I don't think I would, would have had the same success as I did in the league. If I'm not mistaken, those are the other two dudes along with you that actually got naturalized citizenship and got to play for Kazakhstan at the world's. Yeah, there's a few of that. Well, there's now there's a big thing going on, but uh, at that time, I think there was four or five of us that got uh, passports and and were able to play for Kazakhstan, and it was definitely a unique experience. Um, I, at that time, you know, there was no chance I was ever going to play for Canada at the Olympics, and I was going to you know try and qualify with mm-hmm. Kazakhstan and maybe try and get that experience uh, to play in the, in the Olympics. And unfortunately, uh, we weren't able to qualify, but I got to play in a world championship in a couple. Uh, World championships in the in the division right under. Well, what uh, did that change at all? Is the way that you were? I mean, listen, you were obviously a popular player. You were doing so well successfully for the club team, um, but did that change at all the way you and uh, the other fellows were uh, sort of thought of amongst Kazakhstanis and uh, and the hockey community there outside of your your own team and fan base? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I wouldn't really. I guess I wouldn't really know. I mean, it didn't really changed my life um it's it's a different feeling because you know you're not like a born kazakh but definitely when you're playing you all have one goal in mind and you're all you're all trying to to achieve the same 
same goal. And some of those guys uh, had played in, actually, I don't know if anyone in our generation had, but, you know, there was, Kazakhstan had made the Olympics before and we were trying to be kind of like that next generation to, to bring them back. And, um, you know, it, it was unfortunate that we weren't able to do that, but, um, you know, they, they're building a lot of uh, young hockey players right now and really trying to uh, build their program. How um how different was just a day in the life in the KHL as opposed to the NHL? And we've heard stories about the different practice modes. I mean, how long you're at the rink doing? I mean, how would you compare the life of uh, you know a guy in your position in the National Hockey League to going over to uh, the time in the KHL? Um, I'd say probably like my first half of my career there with the coaches I had, it was definitely a little bit different. There was a, a lot of two a day practices when you're you know, you got a lot of time in between games. So you practice in the morning and then have a workout, go have some lunch and then come back for a skate in the afternoon. Um, but on the road, when you're traveling, you, the, you we do charter, but because of how the travel is, you're getting in a lot of times, you know, three, four five in the morning. So you're always practicing kind of like five at night. So a lot of times you get in, you go to bed at like four or five and you're sleeping until like one, you have lunch and then you go to the rink and practice and then you have dinner. So it's, it's a little bit of a, a different schedule that, in that regard, um, during the breaks, I mean, there's some time for, for some downtime and to, to recover, but it really all depends on the coaches. And, uh, the last few years, uh, the coaches have been, you know, more normal. I mean, my last year in, in the KHL, I would say was, was a pretty normal, more normal life. You go to the rink in the morning and, and you practice and you're done by one o'clock and, and then you just hang out with, uh, with your family or with your teammates or whatever you're doing in your downtime. You know, I guess, I mean, I know you did have a couple stops in the KHL. We'll focus in on Paris, Erstana, and, and Kazakhstan. What were the crowds like, and what were the fans like? The fans are really good, and for us, it's, we're kind of like a national team because we're the only Kazakh team in the KHL. So everybody in Kazakhstan is following. So, um, you know, not just from Astana, but all over the the country. And on the road, they, they had some good good fans following us and, and coming to check out games Uh and yeah, the first rink we we played in, and I think we were there for three or four years uh, before they built a new one. And it was definitely a unique experience. It was a little bit older and uh, definitely tight. It was always really cold, and all the fans would go out to smoke in between periods. But because it's so cold outside, and they all kind of just open the door and stay standing inside, and and, and smoke still inside. So every second period we come out and there'd just be a huge cloud of smoke <laughs> and the, the visiting team is like, what's going on? Like, how do you breathe in this? I'm like, well, I'm just used to it now, but um, it definitely had a, a, a good vibe in that rink and it was smaller and it's tough to play it. And as it was really cold and, and, uh, and not so modern, but uh, when we moved to the new rink, so we, I think we had about, about 3,500 to 4,000 fans uh, at the old rink. And then they built uh, a new rink. That's uh, that's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful rig practice rink swimming pool like a, a whole thing and i think that holds about thirteen thousand or fifteen thousand, and it's, uh, it's right up there with an nhl style rink and uh we had some some really good playoff runs with um the fans um you know close to selling that out and those are uh, games that i i definitely remember you know uh, obviously the majority of your khl career was there in kazakhstan but you did have two years in yekaterinburg and then a final season in kazan akbar's uh, how different were those spots from uh, really the only spot you knew playing overseas? Um, not much. I think we were lucky too because we, Kazakhstan and Russia is so close, uh, and just being there for so long, like we go into the new city, we would have been like moving in in North America. Like there wasn't the culture shock and and all that kind of stuff. We were already kind of used to to how things worked, and 
it was just kind of getting used to the city and, and the team and how, how things ran. But um, I was I was very fortunate. All three cities are, are very nice cities, and uh, it was a good expat community, and it was uh, pretty easy for expats to live there. So um, I was fortunate in, in that regard. Yeah, I just got to ask you one more KHL question. I couldn't help but notice that your coach uh, in Kazakhstan for a number of years was Andre Nazarov, who yeah. was uh, a bit of a – I mean, listen, he was a big, bad dude when he was playing over here. Um, yeah. You can see the pims over the course of his career. Yeah. What, what was he like as a coach? I mean, there's been some very interesting stories out of the KHL about uh, he, his level of intensity, shall we say? Yeah, he well, he's a he's a big boy. Like he's he's definitely intimidating. You don't want to be caught on that side of him. So um, for us, it was nice. I think he was our first like, English speaking coach, or who could speak English. So it was it was nice that we could actually have kind of like a relationship as imports with him and, and communicate. So. Um, you know, he was definitely funny sometimes and his uh, intensity level was up there, but, uh, you know, he, he was passionate and he really wanted to win. And uh, he, he was definitely uh, would be a motivator by yelling and screaming and intimidating. So uh, you didn't really uh, want to be making mistakes or turning the puck over with him on the bench. Uh, Nigel, uh, you finished up the last couple of seasons playing in the uh, German league over in Mannheim. Uh, how was that experience and how did it compare to uh, the other stops on uh, your pro hockey journey? Um, I, again, I, I'm lucky because that is one of the best uh, hockey organizations in Europe and, and the way they do things and, and the fan base and, and the arena and, and everything. So uh, it was it was really, really fun to, to, to be a part of that, that and experience that. Uh, with Benson being a little bit older, he was like six and seven when we were there. I think he'll actually kind of remember aspects of that and getting to go on the ice after the game and hanging around the dressing room and and, and stuff that he was too young to to do when we were in Russia. So um, unfortunately, we we came up short uh, the two years we were there. But um, yeah, just being in Germany and being home uh, most nights and just kind of living on the bus, but not not as bad as when you were in the dub. Uh, uh, it was fun to to experience. Um, you know, we said you know the last better part of two decades. I mean, you've been playing all over the world. I'm still very productive, even this season playing for Mannheim. How'd you know it was time to say uh, that's it? Um, I think just uh, as a career, you you never really, I mean, players never really get to go out on their own terms. And even this year, I thought I was going to, and then ended up kind of having a season ending injury. So it was still kind of uh, not on my own terms. But um, I think, you know, when things start slowing down it gets frustrating as a player who's had success and your brain still thinking the same way you're you're seeing the same plays but you're having a little bit more trouble doing them and or even just kind of the, the motivation starts to slip as, as you get older and um you know there's other things going on in life with my, my family and and wanting to be at home uh you know it's uh, there's a lot of different aspects that that play into it but uh i'm happy with uh you know the career i've had and, and the decision we made and i think even with getting hurt, I haven't really had the d- desire to go back and try and play one more year, even though this one got cut short. So I think uh, I think the timing's right for me. Yeah, well, let's talk in October, November, because here's the funny <laughs> thing is that this would normally be a downtime for you anyways. You get back to the peg, you get to see your friends, your family, you take a little bit of time off. Like, it, it, how different is it right now for you than any other year that you've had before, other than maybe not focusing as much on the gym as much as maybe <laughs> the golf course? Yeah, it, it hasn't been too different. I mean, I think for us, you, being used to being home for 10 to 12 weeks a summer, the biggest change is just feel like we can breathe. If we don't want to do anything, we just kind of hang out. And uh, 
our, our calendar is not as jam packed and things aren't as planned, you know, they're, they're happening a little bit more organically. If you get a call the day before or the day of, you know, your, your schedule is a little bit more open and you can, you can make those plans. So, um, been home almost two weeks now and just kind of relaxing and enjoying the nice weather and, uh, being home. I mean, I, I've been gone for almost 22 years, so it will be nice to, to catch up and, see what an august in, in winnipeg is actually like well, you actually got a great may long weekend uh for yeah. a change we had some great Rough weather here start, yeah <laughs> no doubt um have you thought much about um the next chapter of life i mean listen you have been i mean a hockey player for pretty much most of your time do you want to stay in hockey is that sort of the the focus for you or uh, are you thinking about maybe doing other things in business or completely outside of the sport I'm not. I'm not opposed to staying in hockey. At this point, I haven't really thought about what I was gonna, what I am gonna do. Uh, so it's it's you're, when you're playing hockey, you're so focused on it, and, and you have all your energy and time into that that you know you have time to sort out the other stuff after. And you know that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm, I'm not in a rush by any means to find something, but um, we're kind of seeing. I, I honestly, I, I the range is so big right now of what may how I may or may not do. Like I, I don't have any answers for that. So. Um, you know, talk to people, things might come up or, or maybe there's something else that, uh, ends up interesting me, but, uh, right now I'm just going to enjoy the, the, fa- uh, the time with the family and, and the summer and, uh, probably find something or start looking for something in the fall. I guess as a dad and a parent, it'll be a little different. I mean, you're going to have one school for your kid. You'll be yeah, there at the start yeah. of the year. He'll be there at yeah. the end of the year. I mean, uh, people don't oh, understand yeah. some of the challenges on the family side, especially when you're going halfway across the world and coming back in the middle of school years, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, we were unpacking our suitcase when we got home, and I'm just like, man, like this is the last time we're going to have to unpack like 10 bags, and I'm going through my mail for the whole year, and it's just like this is the last time I'm going to ever have to do this. Like, there's things that you kind of like – don't even really think about that are just like little things but yeah definitely for for benson going to school and not uh, moving around and being there from start to finish it's going to be the first time uh, in his life being able to do that and even just playing on sports teams and and making friendships and stuff like that so um you know i'm excited for him he's been a very resilient kid but uh, i think this will be uh, very welcome for him well, he's uh, he's had a heck of an example over the years, uh, seeing what you've done uh, all around the world, and uh, great to see you. You know, having the career that you've had, Nigel, and and finishing it off here uh, back in Winnipeg uh, to start the next chapter of your life. Hey, I got to ask you: Do you pay? Do you watch a lot of hockey right now? Like, even though you're done, I mean, are you watching the playoffs every night? Are you keeping tabs on all of that, or is that? Or are you basically just like a casual fan? Um, right now, I'd say I'm a casual fan. I mean, being overseas for so long with the time change, it's just so hard to keep up. I mean, I see stuff on social media or, or the highlights of all the the nice goals or, or kind of what's going on. Um, since I've been home, kind of had some of the games on in the background. Um, I always like the first round the best because everything's just it's all the time, all day, all week. Um, but now that it's kind of every other day, you, you kind of flip it on here and there. But I'm more maybe a period, maybe two periods, depending on what's going on at the house. Uh as opposed to, you know, sitting down and watching the whole game. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of both, but I'm sure I'll, I'll start getting more into it uh, next year and, and kind of paying more attention to it. Yeah, hey, you might want to call your old pal uh, and teammate Shani. I hear he's got a uh, couple job <laughs> openings for you yeah. in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, this has been awesome, man. Uh, listen, it's always been great to follow your career. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of Winnipeggers that have known you from just being a kid before you went to the Western League have always taken a special pride in seeing what you've done. But uh, congratulations on everything. Great to see you back in the Winnipeg. Have a great summer and uh, all the best in what's to come. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.
Uh, great stuff with Nigel Dawes, uh, a favorite of ours. A, uh, and, uh, man, it was a great conversation. We'll hopefully have Nigel on uh, again some point to uh, just talk about everything else happened in the hockey world now that he can uh, kind of get into it a little bit more as a retired professional. Mike McIntyre's coming up right now. Uh, Got to give a big thanks to our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market. Hey, if you're looking for great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries, shop at one of seven Vita Health Fresh Market stores or online at myvita.ca. And gang, when you order online, you can now choose same-day local delivery. Place your order at myvita.ca before 11 a.m. and you'll get your order that day. Orders placed after 11 a.m. will be delivered the next day. Of course, when you shop at Vita Health, you're supporting a great local company, family-owned and operated since 1936, carrying Winnipeg's largest assortment of local products, too. And with grilling season here, you can get on down to Vita Health and stock up on some delicious Vita Market grass-fed bison and beef steaks. And the perfect thing to help you digest that red meat is Health First Prime Zyme Digestive Enzymes available at Vita Health as well. Vita Health, seven Winnipeg locations, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Check them out online as well at myvita.ca. Wallace and Wallace is busy right now as Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialist serving residential and commercial customers since 1946. If you need the security and protection of a new fence or if winter's done a number on your old one, they've got you covered with vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood fences. And if it's time to replace your garage door, they also have Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. Give them a call at 452-2700. The Wallace & Wallace team will arrange a time to come out and give you a free estimate. You can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston. Uh, hey, wedding season's just about here, guys. How's the closet looking? If you need to up your menswear game heading into spring and summer, do it down at F Apparel at 190 Smith Street. Andrew, Alex, and their staff have custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. 15% discount for wedding parties if you're in one. Talk to them about getting the fellas looking great for the big day. And if you've got a 2023 high school grad, F Apparel will include a free custom shirt and tie for all high school grads with the purchase of a new suit. F Apparel is at 190 Smith Street downtown. Make an appointment or check them out online at F, that's EPHapparel.com. And our friends at Nick and Nikki DQ are loving this summer weather. If you haven't been down to uh, try the new summer blizzard flavors, what the heck are you waiting for? Four locations waiting for you. DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, DQ St. Anne's, and DQ Niverville. And, of course, you can also hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba and get a custom-made ice cream or blizzard cake for your next event. And with a quick and easy pickup at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. All right, let's get to Mike McIntyre of the Winnipeg Free Press for his weekly visit on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Mike, what's going on? Us good to be here uh, a day a day later than usual. Usually we're doing these on Tuesdays, so I'm a little out of sorts. By the way, how's my collar looking today? It's it's, the- it's looking good. Any uh, OCD okay. listeners giving you some heat on uh, how the collar is? Nothing in the chat, Remo, about the uh, state of the collar. <laughs> no, <I> got- <laughs> it's early. It's early. <laughs> I, uh, for folks who don't know what we're talking about, great, uh, a great Kenny and Rennie meet up last Tuesday night, a few hours after I did my last hit, and a little grief from one uh, 
regular viewer that my collar had been uh, my collar had been out of sorts that day. So I made sure to double check it uh, today, and uh, everything looks good. Um, Piper and Bodie are sleeping uh, nearby here, so we'll see if they make an appearance. Uh, got a lot of folks actually asking where Piper was. Uh, uh, you've got a lot of loyal listeners and, and viewers, Huss. It's uh, it's great to put some some faces to the names. Yeah, that was such a fun event. I mean, it was right. great to see all. And, and I don't know, you'd be a better person. This is that the biggest gathering of Winnipeg media at one point in forever. Uh, I would think so. I mean, th there was like everybody there from print to broadcast. Uh, you know, you had Scott Oak uh, making an appearance just before he jetted down to Vegas to cover the, the Western Conference Finals. Sarah Lesky popped in. Yeah, it was it was a great uh, a great gathering and uh, nice to see so many uh, happy folks under under one roof uh, like there were that night. It was a, it was a great great evening for sure. Hey, just before we get to uh, kind of talking about the uh, ongoing stories around the National Hockey League and the Winnipeg Jets off season. Um, what have you thought about the conference finals? The crazy I mean, thing, the games themselves. I yeah. mean, like the first weekend of games were phenomenal. We get all that overtime. I mean, even game three between the Canes. And, like, and I think people that complain about the the Panthers-Carolina series probably haven't been watching it because no. the games themselves have been exciting. But, I mean, we are on the verge of eight games being played in the conference finals in the National Hockey League. Yeah, blink, blink and you might miss it. I mean, sweeps are not ideal, obviously. You'd like the drama of, of you know, meaningful games uh, for both teams uh, with a lot on the line, but it's starting to look like like uh, we may fast-track a Stanley Cup final here between Vegas and, and Florida, which would essentially be us for Jets fans. How much salt in how many wounds would that be pouring? It would basically be Paul Maurice versus... Team Manitoba, a.k.a. the team that's knocked the Jets out of the playoffs twice, including this year. Uh, and, of course, and I hear this all the time, a lot of folks that are upset that the Jets don't have any Manitobans on their team, that the Jets seemingly overlook, you know, they're in their own backyard and Western Canadian kids. And, of course, you got a team like Vegas that is just filled with them. Uh, which I think rubs some Jets followers. Is, is there something to be said for that? Like, I don't know if you caught earlier in the program, and, and I've been a person, I'm like, hey, we want the best players on the team. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, even I who have been on that, I've been on that hill for a long time, you know, all through the TSN days, I would have that, like, I don't care where a guy's from, show right. me a, a better player, and that's the guy I want on my team. But I am at the point where I have had to maybe come off that hill a little bit and acknowledge the fact that a team like the Vegas Golden Knights that beat Winnipeg, that beat the star-studded Edmonton Oilers that's doing what they're doing to Vegas right now, um, I mean, they've got 17 Canadians. They've got a bunch of Manitobans. But that, like, is there something to it that, you know, at crunch time, at the most um, intense parts of the season at the time when that grit bite, whatever you want to call it is more important and more prominent that, you know, maybe having a makeup of a few more guys that, you know, we're from here helps you win. The St. Louis blues would certainly tell you from 2019 that there's something to that. They would for sure. And yeah, you know, the, the sort of on ice 
play a side Haas. I think there is something to it if you're a team like the Jets that maybe has trouble retaining some of the I mean we, we've seen guys whether it's Jacob Truba, Andrew Kopp, obviously a lot of European players from you know Christian Veselainen uh, to even Leon Gavanke now who's going back to Europe right um, the Birdman he's gone back to Russia um, the the idea of retaining some of these guys has been an issue and a lot of people suggest and and you know I've even had this mentioned to me by Western Hockey League scouts that quite frankly, Haas, they're surprised that the Jets don't dip their toes into the Western Canadian waters more than they have in recent years. They did, if you recall, the Jets, their first few years back here, 2011, 12, 13, there was a lot of Western Canadian kids picked. I mean, uh, Adam Lowry was the second ever pick of the Jets, and he's still here, right? Um, you know, Josh Morrissey obviously is a player that very much has panned out from from Alberta. Um, but there were others that didn't. Lucas Sutter, who can forget that pick, right? That was a big swing and a miss. I think he the- was the second pick. of Wasn't he the second rounder? He might have been. Laura might have been the third rounder. You're right. Um, and so, you know, it, but it is surprising because, you know, quite frankly, Kevin Chevalier, he cut his teeth. He, he's a Western Canadian guy himself. Uh, from Saskatchewan originally he cut his teeth in the Western Hockey League I am surprised and I get that you know maybe there's been times the Jets have had guys who get picked right before it's their turn and the Jets are employing the best player available but when you look when you look at how many for instance Minnesota players and Michigan born players the Jets have have and traditionally have had it, it almost seems like they have a type and I guess to a lot of folks, it's surprising that that type wouldn't include players from their own backyard and neighboring provinces. And I think it's magnified, Haas, by what the Vegas Golden Knights are doing, as you say, with, you know, from Kelly McCrimmon on down, Mark Stone, Keegan Colasar, Quentin Howden, Zach Whitecloud, like all those guys that play big roles in what the Knights are doing. And I think it it just, for some, it just strikes them as uh, another reason to you know, maybe be upset with how the Jets have done business as of late. We'll see. We've got the draft coming up in a month. We'll see if the Jets uh, maybe go the WHL route. That is an area that they really haven't looked. They haven't looked West uh, very often in, in recent draft years. That's for sure. Yeah. And I mean, listen, I mean, your first round pick is, I mean, that's when you're taking and I get it. I mean, you want your best player and I'll say this, even though he's not Canadian, I think Rucker McGrory has so yes. many of those things that we're looking for from that type of player. So, um, you know, hopefully he comes and, you know, and, and fills a role like that and brings what, you know, the Jets spoke about when, you know, he was selected. But as far as a makeup, I mean, I go back to what Connor Hellebuck said, and many of us have said, I mean, this team has a lot of talent on it and has for a number of years. And, They've fallen short. I mean, listen, they're not the only one. There's only one team that wins the Stanley Cup every year. So, I mean, I, I, I try not to get into this hyperbole sometimes about everything's a failure when you don't win the Cup. I mean, that means there's 31 teams full of losers every year, and I certainly don't subscribe to that. But they believed, and listen, I think that that team gave them a lot of reasons to believe that they were really, really close. I mean, through 2018, and then... I mean, as we've documented plenty, some things started going south in 2019. 
And I mean, if there's any criticism of the regime of the little bit it, uh, of the last you know few years, it has been that they didn't maybe act sooner on some of the changes that many of us expect to happen this year. And where would this team be as an organization, as a roster, if maybe a couple of those decisions were made a little bit earlier? Yeah, and I mean, urgency hasn't always been the MO of, of True North. Uh, and one just has to look at the guy coaching the Florida Panthers and how the organization handled Paul Maurice. Um, they waited till he told them he was done as opposed to kind of taking the initiative and, and, you know, forcing a change when I think it was obvious to most that the message had grown stale. And, you know, I, I get a lot of people now as of late on Twitter, every time you mention Paul Maurice, you know, they, 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 they dredge up the pot. Like, what are you saying that, that he should still be the Jets coach? No, absolutely not. Uh, I, I said it at the time, and I'll keep saying it. Paul Maurice had to go. Paul Maurice had lost his way with the Winnipeg Jets. The players weren't responding to the message Paul Maurice was was sending. Um, and if anything, he overstayed his welcome. But I think the very fact that that it was incumbent on the coach to decide when it was time, as opposed to the organization, maybe speaks to how loyalty, you know, you hear the term blind loyalty at times, right? And so maybe that was the case when you talk about the core and the idea that they were close, um, that, you know, they they always err on the side of patience and sometimes to a detriment. And I think, you know, this summer um, we're going to see, mainly because a lot of it, they don't have much control anymore, over these, you know, certain players that that change that many felt should have come a few years ago or over the course of the last few years might kind of finally be here. Uh, and the question, I guess, and we won't know the answer till we see what returns are and how contract situations play out. But certainly it opens the door to second guessing and the idea, did they wait too long? Have they set themselves back by not pulling the trigger on certain moves sooner? You know, we can sit here and speculate on on some of those questions, uh, but the proof will ultimately be in kind of what they look like when the dust ultimately settles here. Well, I'll say this. I mean, you certainly there's an argument. And listen, the eight years or whatever it was is a long, long time to be a head coach of an NHL team. And, you know, even the best coaches in NHL history right. rarely last that long. Um, so I certainly have a lot of time that after what happened in 2019 – you know, there, something needed to happen. Um, it didn't. They came back and sort of ran it back with the majority of the same group and changing things around the periphery. But while you can certainly make an argument that a coaching change would have been better on the club at that point, I think you can also make an argument that Paul Maurice still does have the ability to get a lot out of a team. Um, maybe if a couple moves had been made by some of the guys sure. that had sort of been tuning him out and not responding to Paul Maurice, that maybe those returns, the team would have changed into maybe a team that might've been a little bit more successful under Paul Maurice and, you know, may have had a few more ears because I'll tell you what, the Florida Panthers right now, and we've seen the Winnipeg Jets at times early on in Paul Maurice when he built that. And I think we have to agree that he did a very good job of taking a team from 
you know, a very mediocre team in the National Hockey League and building them into a team that absolutely was a Stanley Cup contender and was there at the Final Four. Um, it will be funny to see what the return, if a guy like Mark Shifley is traded for, and obviously Blake Wheeler at this point, I mean, you're just looking to make a move almost for the sake of move, addition by subtraction, at least within the uh, within the room from what we believe. I mean, that's going to be a difficult to do. But uh, And again, this is going back a little bit, but if a player or two of that stature was moved, um, you know, maybe the drop-off and the frustration that Jet fans and certainly Jet management had watching what happened to a team that had that much talent um, goes in a different way. I mean, there's certainly two ways you can look at that. The bottom line was neither of them happened, and that, I think, is a big reason why we are where we are. And again, you look at the Florida Panthers. They didn't sit around last year and wait for the Jonathan Hubedro and Mackenzie Weger contract situations to play out one way or the other. They, they shipped those guys out and look where they are now. They got a stud in Matthew Kachuk back and, you know, they are living proof that you can make a big, big deal where you're sending out elite talent and it doesn't have to have to necessarily mean a, a, a massive step back. If anything, they've taken a huge step forward Obviously, the regular season this year wasn't as good as last year. But at the end of the day, it's all about performing on the biggest stage. And these Panthers are clearly built for playoff hockey. And yes, I know a lot of people want to who don't want to give Paul Maurice one ounce of credit will say, well, it's all about Sergei Bobrovsky um, and that he's carrying the load. You know what? The other day I watched that game. Bobrovsky was really good for sure. But the Panthers played an absolutely smothering brand of defense. Those guys were busting their tail every single shift, sacrificing their bodies, shot blocks, I mean, extra effort, the kind of of play you need in the playoffs. And that wasn't just Sergei Bobrovsky. That was every player on that team led by the coach that they clearly are enjoying playing for. And I think it almost dilutes or cheapens it if you want to just simply say well this is Bobrovsky versus the world uh I I think there's a lot more to what the Panthers are doing well uh, listen in all fairness they needed the Chicago Blackhawks to beat the Pittsburgh Penguins in game number 81 of the season just to get into the playoffs and I will tell you what Brad Marchand Five seconds left in game five, up 3-1, has a clear-cut breakaway that somehow happened with 20, like at that time in the game, if you remember the play. Yep. And Bobrovsky sticks out his leg, makes that save just to get them into overtime. Hey, if Brad Marchand scores there, uh, who knows what the offseason is for the Florida Panthers. But that is part of the nature of playoff hockey. And, I mean, there is something to be said about getting in. There's a lot of people that said, oh, what's going to happen if you just get into the playoffs? Well, I'm sure they said the same thing about the Florida Panthers, and the Panthers are one game away from getting to the Stanley Cup Finals. So, I mean, there's not really a correct answer. There's different ways of looking at it. But the Panthers are proving a lot of the theories that people maybe didn't want to hear about the Winnipeg Jets going into the postseason as truths right now as they get on this incredible run led by a goalie that had lost his job at the beginning of the playoffs and now could very well be winning a consummate trophy if things keep going the way they are. You know, I'm I'm fascinated by the so-called butterfly effect to 
look back and think, okay, if this had happened differently, how might it have altered the course of, of history? You bring up a great one with the Marchand breakaway. You can go back, in fact, to the regular season. What if the Chicago Blackhawks don't beat the Pittsburgh Penguins on whatever it was, the second last night of the year? If, if Pittsburgh beats Chicago as they should have, the Panthers don't even make the playoffs. The Blackhawks don't finish where they are. And you could argue that they probably don't get Connor Bedard because they wouldn't have been the third place team in the standings. I believe Anaheim would have had that spot. So if you if you assume nothing would have changed, the ping pong balls would have bounced the same way. Blackhawks don't get Bedard. Florida doesn't make the playoffs. Does that mean that Toronto doesn't get bounced? Us is and Boston doesn't get bounced. Like is Kyle Dubis still the GM? I mean. Uh, you could just go down the list of all the things that maybe changed on a bounce here or a game there. And it's just, uh, it, it, you can almost become dizzy thinking about it. Let me throw one other one out there to bring it back to the Winnipeg Jets, Huss. Does the, does anything change when we assess the Jets season and how they quickly kind of flamed out of the playoffs with four straight losses, you know, the, the, the flame was burning really hot after one game, and then it got snuffed out four games later. But does anything change when we see what Vegas has now done to Edmonton? The Oilers only won two games. The Jets won one. The Stars haven't won any games, and it's possible they're going to get swept right out of the East of the Western Conference Final. Uh, you know, they should be a better team than the Jets to get to the third round. They sure don't look it right now. So do we reevaluate how we look at the Jets if we say, well, maybe the Jets lost to the best team out there. And it's not the first time we've had that discussion. Have the Jets had some terrible luck when it comes to playoff matchups? You know, 2018, they obviously got to the third round. Vegas knocks them out and Vegas goes on and loses in the cup final. But they got really far. The next year, they get knocked out by the Blues in the first round who go on to win the Stanley Cup. In 2021, the Jets lose to Montreal who went on to play in the Stanley Cup that year. And now it appears that they got knocked out in the first round by, again, a team that's going to go play for the Stanley Cup and might just be the favorites to win it. I don't know the answer. I mean, to me, I think you still have to evaluate what the Jets could control. And there's certainly a lot of things that that they didn't do very well. Uh, but it perhaps does put a slightly different shine on the overall performance when you say maybe they just ran into a juggernaut in round one. Well, listen, I guess you can say that. And um, there certainly is truth to it. Um, the thing about the Winnipeg Jets, and, you know, we can talk about that series just this year, most recently, that five games against the uh, against the Knights. Um, what frustrates me is how great they looked early on and how in a, the inability to match what you knew was coming, and that was, to use a Rick bonusism, a big pushback from the Vegas Golden Knights. And, you know, listen, did everyone think that the team was going to win? No. Did they think they had a chance? Yeah. But you don't have a chance when you don't show up. And no. to me, the and maybe this is just what we saw last, I mean, I'm still not over that performance in game number five. I mean, an absolute no-show. I was talking to Pierre-Luc Dubois. How is Pierre-Luc Dubois the same guy that yeah. took over and dominated game one? 
the one that was so invisible in game number five. And again, if that was a one-off, Mike, you know, maybe you'd say, well, that better not ever happen again. That's the third time this team has been knocked out of the playoffs with as miserable performance as they put together maybe in the entire season. They did it against Montreal in game four, and they did it against St. Louis, even though the score is flattering in 2019. And then you look a little bit deeper as to, well, what happened in the second half of that 2019 season when they were just waiting for the playoffs? They were number two in the league at New Year's. And, you know, lost the Central Division, ended up playing St. Louis, and then we saw what happened, you know, with the Blues, who found out that, you know, if you play committed, um, they they didn't have more talent than the teams that they were playing. Not at all. I mean, obviously, Bennington got hot, but they did, they did a lot of the things that the Panthers are doing right now. And to be honest, the Carolina Hurricanes are doing right now with absolutely no success because they can't score a damn goal. But... I, I mean, and this goes back to the makeup and kind of what Connor Hellebuck said. There's a lot of great players on this team, but maybe just the mix isn't right. And uh, I think there's definitely something to be said that, and that is why the changes that I think are needed and expected by a lot of the people um, that follow this club very closely, um, you know, we, we anticipate happening at some point soon. But, you know, it's more than just a bad draw. And you can handle that bad draw a lot more if you leave it all out on the ice and play like your season's on the line. And unfortunately, the characteristic of the Jets bowing out of the playoffs has been embarrassing performances facing elimination. And it's wild that just last night, I mean, look around today, Huss, a lot of Followers of the Dallas Stars are saying the same thing now about their team. A team that, you know, marched through the first two rounds, looked pretty strong, and then come out last night on home ice, led by their captain, and just an absolute brain-dead move by Jamie Benn, who, by the way, doesn't show any accountability by ducking out on post-game media. You know, Huss, we thought... The Jets had the market cornered on a lack of accountability. And with good reason, we roasted Mark Shifley, you know, when he was benched uh, earlier in the year and then didn't come out and do do post-game interviews about it. Nino Niederreiter had to come out and answer for it. Um, Jamie Ben, uh, Mark Shifley, yeah, he wears an A. Jamie Ben's the captain. And he cost his team dearly last night by getting kicked out of the game less than two minutes in. Basically a must-win game for the Stars. Uh, And he was unhinged. All of the teammates were unhinged. The fans were unhinged. It was just a terrible look. Maybe it's something about the the Vegas Golden Knights that bring out the worst in their opponents. Because you're right, watching Dallas last night, there were shades of Game 5 against the Jets and kind of how bad the opponent looked um, in a game that they should have been laying it all out. Uh, as you say, though, Dallas, maybe that's just a one-off. I'm curious to see what the Stars look like tomorrow, how they come out now with their season on the line. It'll be very telling, but uh, you're right. I mean, we can't just look at this one playoff series in a vacuum. A lot of the issues that uh, that once again reared their ugly heads were ones that we've we've talked, you know, uh for years about really with this team and this organization. And it's why, you know, we're really on the precipice of, of probably some significant change here. Yeah. Uh, now, I mean, I think it's personnel change because I mean, we certainly believe that Rick bonus is going to be back as will Kevin Sheveldayoff being the yeah. guy that 
And, and, you know, the GM talk has been fascinating. I mean, obviously, Craig Conroy hired yesterday in, in Calgary, and Brad Treleving is apparently, um, you know, the uh, odds-on favorite to be the new guy in Toronto. And Kyle Dubas's name is in the mix for Pittsburgh. The Dubas, the entire Dubas thing has been fascinating because I think that he, I don't know, maybe he learned a few things for getting bent over the way he did by Marner's agent and Matthew's agent and all of that and tried to play that with Brendan Shanahan and the Leafs. But it really seemed to sort of blow up on him. But, you know, for a guy that was there for five years that took over a 105-point team, and I see it all the time. There's all this love for Kyle Dubas. I mean, what is Kyle Dubas one round, one round. more overrated than like what 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 is it? What is it just because he's young and good looking and people thought that he was some sort of an analytics guy? Because to be honest, I gotta tell you what, I would way rather have Kevin Sheveldayoff and Larry Simmons negotiating my contracts than Kyle Dubas. And I think the proof is eminently obvious of that when you look at what the Jets have been able to do with extending their players and what happened when they had talented young players in Toronto, what ended up happening that. And that has been a big part of the issues that they've had putting that team together. Well, for sure. And whoever the next GM is of the Leafs is going to inherit a situation that in many ways won't be nearly as lucrative as what Dubas walked into. In fact, there's going to be a lot of Kyle Dubas's mess that has to now be cleaned up. Uh, and I'll be fascinated to see, Huss, if Dubas does land in Pittsburgh. And sounds like he met with Sid the Kid last night. That's a, that's a pretty good sign. That's like kind of introducing your, your new partner to the kids, right? Uh, um, you know, when things are starting to get serious. Uh, so we'll see if that's a, uh, a hockey marriage about to happen. But Kyle Dubas... Walking into Pittsburgh, sure, you've got Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, not exactly in their prime, and no financial uh, wiggle room really at all, uh, and not a 105-point team. In fact, a team that didn't even make the playoffs. Um, like Kyle Dubas, if he is the genius that many kind of tout him as, well, he's going to have to really uh, show it off in a big way at his next stop, because I agree, he had a pretty plum position in Toronto. And I, I I just think what we saw from him last week was a bit of a power play, probably a, a bit of a money grab as well that blew up. I don't know. I mean, I'm not just laying it all at his feet. I don't know that Brendan Shannon and company handled it very well either. Uh, it's, it's kind of a bad look for the whole organization and uh, see if it ultimately sets them back. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's quite the game of musical chairs. And I'll say this, Huss, I've been on this show and I've written about this in the past, but I believe the Jets should really be looking at doing something like bringing a, a VP of hockey ops, uh, a director of hockey operations, whatever, whatever you want to call it, a Brennan Shanahan type. Um, and I, I still believe that, but after watching what went down in Toronto last week, I do wonder if there is the potential when you have that, that you do have too many cooks in the kitchen, as the saying goes, and that it actually gets in the way of progress. That's apparently part of what Dubas was pushing for, that, that there were so many hoops and hurdles that he'd have to go through. He was looking to streamline the process. And, you know, we've never had that issue in Winnipeg because you don't have that extra layer built in. It's, you know, ownership and Kevin Shoveldayoff are kind of joined at the hip. 
And we know Mark Chipman has a lot of say in what goes on. And the idea being maybe because of some of what we talked about earlier, that, that the organization you know, can almost suffer from blind loyalty, maybe bringing in an outsider, another set of eyes wouldn't be the worst move. But then you see what's happening in Toronto and say, well, maybe that's why some organizations are reluctant to go that route. Yeah, uh, you know, for sure. I mean, you certainly don't have, uh, uh, listen, there's pros and cons to, I think, a lot of different setups. And, you know, to have a guy like Brandon Shanahan in the room, absolutely, you know, I think has probably helped in a lot of ways for that organization where money is of absolutely no issue when it comes to pretty much everything else. I mean, that's part of the reason why that job, I think, is, I mean, there's huge pressure that comes with it because of the futility of that organization forever and how big the fan base is and all of the media. But there's also some major advantages um, when it comes to pretty much everything outside of having to manage the salary cap. Um, you know, nothing, you know, it's, it's different there than in a place like Winnipeg or in a lot of other spots. Um, here in Winnipeg, I mean, there's certainly no difference in the communication or the lines i mean there's not people getting in it big listen a lot of times the people that don't like or feel that kevin shovel time has come and he hasn't done a good job i mean their their beef has to be with ownership because they obviously still believe in kevin shovel as the guy that can make the necessary changes and keep this team going or get this team going if you feel they've been going in the wrong direction going in the right direction i mean it's pretty much as simple as that yeah, you're right. Uh, and so the, the lines aren't blurred at all in Winnipeg. Uh, of course, the track record here in Winnipeg isn't so great either, which is part of the reason you wonder, well, is there a better way to do this? Um, and and I, still, I still don't totally rule out, I, I'm not saying it happens this summer, but I don't rule out the idea that one day we may see True North go that that way. It seems like that's the direction. I haven't gone through every team to to do the tally, but it feels like more teams have that extra layer, whether you want to call it a bureaucracy or transparency, uh, check and balance, whatever. I mean, the more teams, certainly in Canada, I think you know they've got it in Vancouver. Jim Benning is playing that role, right? Um, so, you know, maybe we see that eventually. No, it's Rutherford. Happen. It's Rutherford. Rutherford, not Benning. Benning, Benning probably lasted a little too long <laughs> if you ask Francisco last. Aquilini, to be Sorry, honest. Sorry, I just gave any Vancouver fans listening just had a shudder, I'm sure, the idea that Jim Benning, whose name has been actually back in the in the news lately as a potential candidate in Toronto, uh, it seems like everybody is. That a was, that was to- someone was trolling, Mike. That, that had, I, I had to think- have been fake news. You would think so. But uh, yeah, Jim Rutherford is obviously playing that role in Vancouver. And, you know, things haven't gone so well out out West either. So there are pros and cons, whether we see True North ultimately go a different route. We'll see. But for now, Kevin Cheveldayoff, you know, remains in charge and he answers directly to ownership. And that hasn't changed. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what kinds of conversations are happening uh, between ownership and Kevin Cheveldayoff that have happened and will happen in the coming weeks here as we head towards the draft. Mike, we've spent a lot of time talking about, you know, the the major stories, Connor Hellebuck's future, Shifley, Dubois, Blake Wheeler. Um, but I do want to get your perspective on the blue line right now. Not a lot has changed. We knew that the Jets, the starting defensemen of this club all had contracts for the upcoming year. 
Right. Uh, even if Logan Stanley's out of the mix, and I'm not sure that that's a guarantee. Once you sign Dylan Sandberg, there's seven guys, including Kappa Bianco, that have contracts for next year. Leon Gavanka's gone, but you've got Declan Chisholm, you've got Vili Hainala, who, you know, according to Murat, he said, uh, you know, was, uh, I believe the quote was, had politely asked to either be in the National Hockey League or to be traded to somewhere where we'd have an opportunity. Um, right. Waivers is no is now an issue for those players. How do you see this getting worked out by the time we get to training camp? Well, and, and not only Haas, when you include, let's say they re-sign both Sandberg and Stanley, who are both restricted free agents, so the team has control. They re-sign both those guys, then that's eight guys on one ways. And right now, and this is without Sandberg and Stanley, the Jets already have nearly $26 million tied up on their blue line. A blue line that I think we can all agree is not good enough as it currently stands and could use certainly some changes, some tweaks. And that's without getting into what you just mentioned, which is you've got a couple of young players in in Hainala and, and Chisholm who are kind of knocking at the door. And you got a guy like Leon Gavanke who just took his puck and went home to Germany and kind of blasted the organization, if we're to believe, you know, the translation that came out that he basically saw zero opportunity in Winnipeg, which played a role in him going back home. Obviously, Jonathan Kovacevich would say that he didn't have an opportunity in Winnipeg, and he got claimed on waivers, of course. For the, by record, for the record, you show me an AHL team, and I'll show you half a dozen guys that are bent because yeah. they are where they are on the depth chart. For sure. And, it, and put it this way, Huss, if you didn't have those guys, if you didn't have guys upset they're not getting a shot, then you've got an absolutely crappy <laughs> minor league organization and talent pool. You better have guys that feel they're ready for the next step because if you don't, you're really in trouble. Uh, so that aside, um, you know, when you look at the the makeup of the Jets, like I said, $26 million, you've got Josh Morrissey. He's not going anywhere. He signed through to the 28-29 season at 6.25. Nate Schmidt's got two years left at 5.95. To me, him or Neil Pionk, who's just behind him at 5.875. Schmidt and Pionk have two years left. The problem, though, is their salary. They're, they're hit and whether there'd be a team that would be willing to take that on. Because I think you could make an argument, Haas, that it could be addition by subtraction in a number of ways if you could move one of those players. Not only would you bring the cap hit down overall that maybe opens up money that you could spend elsewhere, but it creates a job opportunity for one of those young defensemen who might be able to do, you know, bring you even more value at a much lesser cost uh, and it also gets you out of the the waiver situation that you just talked about. So, you know, could Nate, Nate Schmidt or Neil Pionk, could there be a suitor out there? And I, I think so far the answer is no. What would the Jets have to do to make it make sense for another team? You know, you got Brendan Dillon and Dylan DeMello. They've, they're going into kind of just like Shifley and Wheeler and Hellebuck. They're going into the final year of their deal. We don't talk about... Well, you gotta you gotta move Dylan or Demello. Uh, you can't let them walk for nothing next summer the way we would about you know a Wheeler or not Wheeler, but Shifley or Hellebuck and potentially Dubois. Uh, but those guys, you know, Dylan is three point nine. 
Dylan DeMello is three. So sure, you could move a, one of those guys out and it would create an, an opening right now. And, you know, you've probably got more potential trade partners because they only have the one year left and their, their salary is less. I just think whatever way you look at it, Huss, they've got to move at least one of those guys. One of Schmidt, Pionk, Dylan, or DeMello. Maybe even two of those guys to not only reconfigure how the back end looks, but also the cost of the back end and to create some opportunities that just aren't there right now for young players. Well, the thing about it is, is um, I mean, it is about winning games. And um, like, you know, these conversations are more based on not wanting to lose these guys for nothing. Right. But are you better off with those young guys? I mean, I don't know. I mean, Billy Hanel has had a number of opportunities, you know, so far, somewhat limited. But, I mean, I, I can't say that there was ever a time that he was up in the National Hockey League going, wow, there's no way this guy could, is ever going back to the American League. And Declan no. Chisholm has, what, what, two games or four games? I can't remember how many times he's played. But he's been great at the American Hockey League level. But far from a sure thing. I mean, there's a real risk involved in saying, okay, we're going to move veterans that we know what they are. And I'm speaking specifically to Dylan or uh, and uh, Dylan DeMello because of, you know, their roles on the club and how, frankly, important they are on that and what they bring to it. I mean, Dylan DeMello consistently makes his partners better. And I think Josh Morrissey's very comfortable playing with him. And, you know, we talk about big defensemen that can move the front of the net. I yeah. mean, that uh, Dylan, Brendan Dylan's the guy they have. Like, that's that's the guy. So... I mean, it's, it's it's not easy. Listen, the easiest way was if you had a taker for Nate Schmidt, absolutely. And listen, I think Nate Schmidt was brought in as much for off the ice as on the ice. And that a lot goes to the makeup of the club and what was happening internally with it all. Um, and Neil Pionk had a great season, earned himself a contract and, you know, had some ups, but a lot of downs last year. Um it, it, it ain't easy, uh, I'll no. say, to, to, to figure this uh, entire puzzle out right now. And even if you are able to make a couple of those moves, uh, if the interest is in being better and winning more hockey games and having a better blue line, I'm not sure that the answer is making a couple of those moves because I don't think right now, I mean, you, you take a risk of a big step back on the blue line if you've got some young guys coming in because, as we know, it takes a good 100, 200 games for defensemen to really acclimatize themselves in the National Hockey League. And the offshoot is you also run the risk, though, of losing Billy Hainler, Declan Chisholm on waivers. Uh, and, well, you know, is that something you want when you've... The answer to that is no. I, right. I just can't see how you would... So, I don't know, maybe you don't do anything this summer. Maybe you go to camp. Um to see if everybody comes out of camp healthy and then you decide, then you make a trade if, if that's what ultimately you have to do, or maybe you have an injury that, that, that uh, buys you some more time, but for sure it's, uh, it's why Kevin shovel day off. I don't suspect is sleeping all that soundly these days um, because you're right for all the focus on Connor Hellebuck and, you know, the, the trio of certainly the duo of Shifley and Dubois and Wheeler to a lesser extent, I guess, on a bigger stage. But I got to think, I mean, I'll say this, Huss, the idea of how to handle Blake Wheeler, it may not be getting the same traction in other markets, but there's no question that is something that would be a difficult decision for this organization. They, they just nominated him for the King Clancy. 
they Blake Wheeler has literally bled for this organization, you know, blood, sweat, tears, what have you. Uh, and so if they're if they're going to part ways with them, it's not going to be an easy decision. Um, but that being said, when you now add in the blue line decisions, uh, it is a absolutely massive to-do list for Kevin Cheveldayoff, who also has to focus on the draft that's coming up in uh, in a month's time or so. Um, busy, busy days, no question about it. Hey, listen, just before we go, uh, let me hit you with this one. Um because it's one thing that we have not yet talked about this year in this offseason. It seems to be very low on the priority list, but at some point it's going to be important. What does Dylan Sandberg's next contract look like? Yeah, I mean, it, it's he, he, he certainly came into his own, I think, this past season. And whatever you thought maybe the ceiling was for Dylan Sandberg, I've certainly talked to people you know, in the organization and beyond who, who believe that, that he may have raised the ceiling for what he is. I think, you know, there was a lot of talk that maybe he's just an okay fifth or sixth defenseman when push comes to shove that, that that's, you know, that's his ultimate potential. I think now based on what we saw, and don't forget, this is a guy when, you know, he'd step in and, and jump in with, with uh, that on that top pairing, right when when Josh Morrissey went down, Dylan Sandberg got the assignment to to go in there and play with Dylan DeMello. And so I think you know, with a guy like Sandberg, uh, now he's kind of starring on a national stage. Get the big uh, the big OT winner yesterday for the the U.S. team. Like his profile is certainly um, you know taking off, and that's great for Dylan Sandberg. It might cost the Jets a little more than maybe they had initially banked on. Um, you know, I, I think at this point, I, I don't know, is Dylan Sandberg, are you signing him to a five or six or seven year deal? Probably not. I don't know. No. I think this might be the Larry Simmons special. I mean, I think they might identify an opportunity to give him, you know, the the the, the cost certainty, uh, well, yeah. cost certainty to the club, but be willing to pay a little bit more right now knowing that they're not going to be going through this again in two years or in three years. I mean, I put it this way. If I'm the Winnipeg Jets, that's what I would try to do. Get a reasonable rate, far more than he'd be able to get over the next couple of years as, uh, you know, in, in his contractual situation, make a commitment to him. And um, because, I mean, I think he's probably capable of playing top four right now for the Winnipeg Jets. And again, yeah. there's some other guys in. We'll see what Rick Bonus that has to say about how he plays his defenseman. But um yeah, the more I think about this, he is the type of player that I think a long-term investment would probably be make a lot of sense for the Winnipeg Jets. And so you wonder, what does that number look like? Because at the end of the day, and I, I agree, Haas, I, I, I think Dylan Sandberg's a tremendous player, and I think he could be a top-four defenseman for years to come. One thing Dylan Sandberg will never do is put up big offensive numbers. That's just not his style. And we know in the NHL, you know, points, goals, assists, that moves the needle, right, when it comes to salary. So, like, what kind of number are we talking about? Two and a half? Um, you know, Dylan DeMello, who is an older, you know, defensive, defensively responsible player, he signed for $3 million a few years back. Would Dylan DeMello, could you lock him up for five years at two and a half? Would you have to go further north than that? Um, you know, you're right. I mean, the Jets, again, there's a lot of uncertainty about their lineup, both 
in the immediate, you know, the coming season and especially two years from now, I suppose if there's a chance to lock up a still young piece at a, at a rate that, you know, leaves everybody happy and brings some certainty, uh, you're right. I, I could see them absolutely going down that route. Well, and, and I'll say this, and I mean, uh, just to use, I mean, a comparable for, you know, a, a younger defenseman that really proved himself playing in a third pairing role that's capable of more. Look at the deal that the Vegas Golden Knights gave Zach Whitecloud. Zach Whitecloud signed, I believe, a six-year deal at $2.75 million per season. Yeah. Um, let, let, let's come back to this conversation whenever that deal does get done because, um, it, put it this way, if I'm the Jets, I'm looking to try to get something done about done like that, and I got the confidence that, you know, he'll be money well spent for a long time, and, you know, at a player at his age in his particular situation might take that sort of certainty going forward and, you know, buy up a couple of UFA years and know that you've got him as a cornerstone because, let's face it, this blue line in the next two years could be entirely turned over with the exception of Josh Morrissey. Well, you're right. I mean, everybody, Schmidt, Schmidt and Pionk are UFAs in two years, Dylan and DeMello in one year. And again, Capobianco, Sandberg, Stanley are all RFAs. And we don't know what's going to happen with a couple of those young defensemen. And as you said, the waiver situation potentially. So you're right. I mean, you want to maybe have a cornerstone piece and, Locking up Dylan Sandberg would at least give you some comfort in that department. Uh, another thing for Kevin Shoveldayoff, or as you mentioned, good thing he's got Larry Simmons because uh, I'm sure there's some delegation going on right now with uh, with some of that work uh, because there's just so much of it. Yeah. Um, hey, Mike. Just before we go, are you going to be at the hoops on Saturday to check out the Sea Bears uh, returning? Well, actually, not returning, but beginning their viewing. Yeah. Time in the uh, CEBL. I will. And uh, it sounds like they're going to have a great crowd. I saw the release that they're actually adding. I don't know, Hus, do you know what they, I don't know what they were capping the original crowd at, but whatever they were selling, they've now opened up additional seats, which is, uh, is great news. And, you know, I actually wrote a bit about basketball in this community uh, back in 2019, when the Raptors went to the NBA final, I, uh, I got the uh, lucky assignment to go to Toronto and cover a few of those games and I remember talking to folks in this is like four years ago in the basketball community in Winnipeg, just how this community was ripe now uh, for something like this. And it took a few years, but I could see this really taking off because um, you know, I think there's a lot of hoops fans, a lot of folks that uh, would love to go watch this kind of level of basketball. And so it should be a great atmosphere. Looking forward to just seeing everything, obviously how the team looks, but the, the the game day production and all the bells and whistles uh, should be a fun night. Uh, I can't wait. Well, uh, if I don't see you before, we'll see you Saturday night down at the, I was going to say the rink, but uh, it will be the, uh, do we call it the gym? Do we call it the, uh, court? yeah, well, we'll maybe uh, the uh, seating court. What do polar bears live in? Uh, they live in, uh, they don't live in Igloo. Do they? <laughs> no, I was kind of. I was going to say no. That's that doesn't make any sense. Well, we'll figure that out. That that's a on the on our to do list. What the heck we're going to call the uh, right. home court for the Sea Bears? Uh, we'll see you Saturday, Mike. Great stuff as always. Thanks for doing this. Take care. Hey, by the way, horse racing fans, check out Mike's piece in the uh, Free Press today. Some real neat technological advancements uh, at ASD that I noticed yesterday when we were watching. The ponies go around on the YouTube was not a great start for uh, what well, was a great start for Remus. Not so much for me 
Ofer last night on our picks. There is no live racing tonight. However, they'll be back at the post Monday and Tuesday of next week. And then the following week, the full Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday schedule begins right through Labor Day and the rest of summer. Great conversation with Mike. Appreciate him coming on. Um, hey, we got the uh, coach of the gold that's coming up. We're not going anywhere just yet. We are going to go a little bit long today. Uh, but, uh, of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Gold Eyes and the Bombers and Winnipeg Sports Talk, doing so much for Winnipeg. Uh, Princess Auto, you'll find the best deals and the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto, a proud Winnipeg company sponsoring our local teams and WST. Visit them at Panet Road or Portage Avenue West or shop online 24-7. 365 at princessauto.com. Uh, Joe and the gang down at Consolidated Supply. Spicy. They are busy right now because they're the leaders in irrigation systems, artificial turf, not to mention new and used golf carts as the exclusive club car dealer in Manitoba. If you have any irrigation needs, give Joe a call. Let them see how they can help you make your property as beautiful as possible like they've done for so many golf courses in Manitoba. you got other great options as well, including hot tubs, amazing outdoor kitchens, and they're the leaders in small engine parts and repair. Pop by and see Consolidated Supply at the showroom, open to the public at 1395 Niagara Road Easter. Find out more online at their newly relaunched website at cte.ca. Uh, Royal Sports, you know it well, Manitoba's number one sports superstore with the biggest and best selection of licensed team gear featuring the Jets, the Bombers, the National Hockey League, the NFL, and tons of new Jays and MLB gear in for spring in the start of the season. But there's so much more than just the best-looking fan gear Spring stocks arriving daily, soccer, baseball, softball, tennis, and so much more, not to mention a huge selection of bikes. Pop down and see them at 750 Pemina Highway and follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information, including the upcoming massive tent sale. We'll get a couple more of those this summer. And hey, if uh, you're looking for a good spot to watch the game tonight, could it be Carolina's last stand? No better place to do that than your local Boston pizza. Uh, Blue Jays, uh, Rays on as well. And of course, Canes and Panthers. No better place to watch the big game than BP and enjoy ice cold schooners, world famous BP wings and gourmet pizzas from the latest BP feature menu. And still a little bit of time to get all the tasty playoff treats on the Fanalytics approved menu right now. Hey, if you're staying in, you can order online at bostonpizza.com. As I mentioned, big win for the Gold Eyes last night. They uh, got one done in extra innings to move to five and five on the season after going two and four on the road. They're back at home tonight at 6.30, and then tomorrow, great time to get the kids out, a school day game, 11 a.m., and then with the gorgeous weather on the weekend, Sioux Falls in town. Looks like it's going to be 31, 29, 31. <laughs> we are getting midsummer temperatures right now for the first homestand of the year. But speaking of the first homestand of the year, we spoke with him about a month or two ago at his home in Texas. Greg Taggart is now back First year as the manager of the Gold Eyes, and uh, let's catch up with him now on uh, the first homestand and how things are going so far. Welcome home, I guess, Greg. How are you? Well, thank you. Uh, I'm doing great. I think the last time we talked, I was in my living room in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, right now at Shaw Park, and you know, getting ready for a ball game tonight. Have you uh, have you settled in yet into uh, into Winnipeg? I mean, we were talking off air. I mean, it's such a 
come here for a couple days, you get after it with the fellows, and then you're on the road for a first little while. I mean, I guess there's still a lot of newness to uh, this uh, entire experience, despite the fact that you're in the regular season. Absolutely. I think I'm officially settled in because I was able to make it to Costco one day and do a little shopping, get to get organized. But that, those first couple of days you get in, the excitement of being here, then you're on that bus uh, for the opening of spring training. And, and we open the season on the road in Gary and Fargo. So uh, getting a chance to settle in a long homestand here with three, three different clubs coming into Shaw Park. And uh, so we're here for about 10 days. Well, and, and man, I mean, some great weather on the weekend to start it off. Yesterday, today, not totally summer-like, but it looks like it's going to be that way on the weekend as well. So uh, we will take it right now. I'm sure you've heard stories of previous Mays around here that haven't quite been as nice as this one. Well, you know, i, I got to be honest with you. I've, I've texted uh, my good friend Rick Forney and asked if he has been not quite honest with me over the years, telling me how bad it can be at this time of the year, because since spring training, I think the first day of camp, it was uh, when our players arrived, you know, in the 70s Fahrenheit. So, uh, you know, beautiful. And, you know, obviously this last weekend was just tremendous. And Friday night, you know, you mentioned with Andrew, uh, what a what a home opener on Friday night. Well, it was. And just listen, before we get to the home schedule and the, the squad, I've got to ask you about starting it off on the road. I mean, obviously would have liked to maybe pull a few more wins back, but I have to ask you about starting off in Gary. I mean, you spent so much of your baseball life there. What was it like wearing the uh, visiting uni and uh, starting off your gold eyes career uh, where you spent so much time before? Yeah, it, it's certainly something that um, I, I, to be honest, when I saw the schedule and it was just purely coincidental, I, you know, I, I didn't become the, the gold eyes manager until long after the schedule had been made. So it was, uh, it probably hit a little close to home on that first, uh, you know, as the day when we drove into the ballpark and things like that. But uh, to be honest, I'm glad to get that one out of the way. I can imagine that. Well, you came back two and four, but it didn't take long for the squad to get back to 500. Big extra inning win last night, two out of three in the first series. Uh, how would you categorize the first 10-game segment for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes? You know, uh, obviously, when you go on the road, the, the old cliche, play 500 on the road. We would have loved to have been four and two. A couple of ball games actually got away from us. And, you know, like we, we talk about the ball club. I mean, at the end of the day, the wins and losses, you know, define who you are. So, you know, and there was a game or two that uh, we would have loved to have played a little better. But we saw so many bright moments and bright spots in that first six games of course the home opener couldn't have gotten any better you know for us uh, that was exactly the way he draw it up on on opening night with a wonderful crowd and uh, as i told andrew call it you know there's nobody that does opening day better than the gold eyes and, and i've known that for my 17 years in the league but um but you know we've uh you know we, we've played well we've had a hiccup or two on the way the offense I think is going to come along. That's going to be with every club. You know, some of these players, you literally had less than 10 at-bats during our spring training. So to get these guys the at-bats, the innings pitched, all those things are a factor. But uh, but we've had some highlight plays on the defensive end, but we've also had some miscues that have hurt us from time to time. What, uh, I mean, as far as, I mean, different managers sometimes focus and emphasize different things. Um the Greg Taggart brand of with Gold Eyes Baseball. Um, how would you categorize it? I mean, is it uh, is it more small ball? Uh, is it uh, more fundamental? 
or are you trying to knock it out of the park every time the pitch is thrown? I'll tell, I'll tell you what, something I, I've always said, you know, I, I would be hard-pressed to know a manager that doesn't believe in pitching first and foremost. And, you know, it starts with starting pitching, having a little bit of a, a bullpen, not only in the back end, guys that can keep you in a ball game, you know, in the middle when the starters are limited. So it always starts with pitching. I mean, that's, you know, throughout the history of the game. And you get good starting pitching. I think it showed last night, Luis Ramirez, our ace on the mound, you know, gave us a chance, kept it close, you know, throughout the game. We were able to, in a game that looked like, hey, maybe we were going to come up short, big late, two-run homer, you know, but we had a little bit of everything last night. The two-run homer in the eighth inning to tie it, you know, a uh, bunt to get the, the winning run to third base in the bottom of the 10th and a single to win it and, and some great defense along the way. That's a formula for success at any level. But, um, you know, the one thing I, I do believe in is just having a roster that can help us win in some way, shape, or form. I think a good example last night, you know, we had a guy come off the bench to lay down a sacrifice bond in the 10th inning. That was the job he did last night and helped us win a game. And utilizing that entire roster really, but not really defined by small ball, long ball, I love the three-run homer just as much as anybody else, but I also love guys that could turn a double play at the most critical moments. Greg Taggart, Gold Eyes manager with us. Fish back in action tonight, tomorrow, and then a three-game series against Sioux Falls for what should be an absolutely glorious May weekend here in Winnipeg down at the ballpark. Um, Greg, you're, I imagine, quite familiar with the number of players on this roster, but, I mean, it's your first time here in Winnipeg. This, the teams do switch over so much. Just have to ask you, through 10 games, I mean, is there a player or two that has really caught your eye or maybe stood out amongst what the expectations were at the beginning? Well, I think the one, uh, you know, and I, I'd, you hate to talk about somebody who's having great success, you know, that old <laughs> baseball you're talking but uh, our our young leadoff hitter, Dason Crows, we signed him early when I back. I think it was February. He's out of Aruba. He played his college baseball at a Division two school in Illinois, Quincy University, a well-regarded program down there. Had had some success, and and I kept coming back. You know, as we did our research on him, scouting reports. You know, they kept coming back. This young guy can hit. He can hit well. If you look at the numbers, um, we installed him in that leadoff spot on opening night, and he set the tone right away. His first at bat was his first professional hit. He has really been a, a great addition for our ball club, and really is. I think he's even impressed every teammate on the, you know, and, and some of our veteran guys from Max Murphy on down that have been around a few years. They watch him and say, you know, everybody's been so impressed, but he really stands out. Our defense with Andy Armstrong and Bryn Martinez, you know, in the middle has been outstanding. So, you know, not some surprises there because that's what we expected. But but as you said, you know, the familiarity with the roster, you made a great point. The turnover, especially taking into account I wasn't in the league last year, there's a lot of new faces for me. The familiarity ends really for me with Max and Travis Seabrook, who I was familiar with from a couple of years back. Max having been in the league, you know, for much longer than that. But uh, and aside from a couple guys who played for me and Gary in '21, you know, it's a it's a whole new environment for all of us. It's a new manager for the ball club. It's new players for the manager and a new environment. So, 
Greg, I have to ask you, I mean, a big part of going to the ballpark is enjoying what the uh, offerings are in the concourse. As a manager of the Gold Eyes, you are busy during the game. Are you able to sample some of the incredible culinary treats at Shaw Park outside of game hours? Well, outside of game hours, they do a very nice job, Andrew and, and our clubhouse manager, Jamie, said, of taking very good care of us after the game. So I think that's when we get to sample the fair. Well, it's uh, it just keeps on getting better. And uh, I'll tell you what, with the start that we've had weather-wise and uh, obviously three out of four at home, I mean, uh, certainly seems like it's home sweet home for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes so far. Thank you very much for doing this. Best of luck tonight and throughout this big homestand. And uh, looking forward to having you on the show throughout the year, Greg. All the best and uh, get another dub tonight. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. Good stuff from Greg Taggart. And uh, I'll tell you what, I was uh, at the uh, opener. I know Schickster was at the opener as well. Uh, might get back there tonight, actually, at 6.30 p.m. for another game. Not quite as nice as it's going to be on the weekend, but uh, it's always a great place to go have dinner and maybe a few cold beers. And I will tell you that Little Brown Jug, our friends at LBJ, very well represented at the ballpark, including the new generic lager that um, everyone that I've been with has tried has absolutely loved it. Um, you know, if you like more domestic, uh, uh, lighter beers, this is, uh, I think, the LBJ product for you. Uh, basic lager, just better, impressively standard in the best way, light and clean to taste with a mellow flavor and crisp finish. Great option if you like those domestic styles uh, but want to support local and drink a local beer, pick it up generic at the ballpark tonight or at Little Brown Jug. And if you're heading down to check out the patio, maybe tonight or coming up on the weekend at Little Brown Jug on William Avenue, we've got some great new stuff on the menu as well. Uh, a bunch of new grilled sandwiches, the little, the LBJ, the little bacon jalapeno, the uh, chicken bacon ranch, salami and roasted red pepper, apple and brie, uh, a classic Bothwell four cheese blend and even a vegan grilled cheese as well. Um, some other great snacks too. Keeps getting better down at Little Brown Jug, but uh, highly recommended from yours truly, the generic. If you haven't tried it, get on it soon. Um, Got to give a fresh shout out to our friends out at Aikens Lake, who I know often will be playing WST on the podcast out in the boat. Uh, perfect getaway for Manitobans and Manitoba businesses. I mean, if you've been doing big things with customers or getting away, get on the water in less than two hours from right here in Winnipeg and maybe find out why so many of those American businesses keep coming back and sending their people to Aikens. Because as world-class as the fishing is, there's nothing better than the Aikens experience and the Aikens hospitality. Find out more, AikensLake.com. Uh, or you can also hit Pit Turan up on Twitter at Aikens Lake to find out more about uh, the limited availabilities left on bookings for this year or get ahead of yourself and start penciling in a trip for family, friends, or corporate for 2024. And hey, Charles Schwab is coming up on the PGA Tour this week, and I think there's a live event at uh, in D.C. at one of the Trump courses. Uh, of course, all our... Golf reports are uh, brought to you by our friends at Breezy Bend, one of Winnipeg's top private courses. If you're thinking about getting on the waiting list because it is jammed right now for next year, talk to our friend Corey Johnson or check them out online at breezybend.ca. Um, cannot wait to get out there in the next couple of days, especially this weekend with the weather being what it's what it looks like it's going to be. 
Um, but Brooks Kepka Remo, I don't know. He, he's he, the the Brooks Kepka victory tour from the PGA Championship continues. He was at the the Peas game two nights ago. Last night was courtside with his wife Jenna, and they are expecting a baby at the Heat game. Apparently, he'll be back at the Peas game tonight as well. And if people are wondering why I keep calling it the Peas, that's what Brooke Kapka called the Panthers when he said after the third round what he was doing that night. He was just going to be watching the Peas game. I cannot wait to see what Brooks looks like at this live event on the weekend. We knew he didn't really care about normal PGA Tour events. This might be the one time a live golfer actually wished there was a cut so he could get out of there earlier. But uh, I don't have high hopes for Brooks winning the live event after winning the PGA on the weekend with the uh, with the victory tour that he's got going on right now. Yeah, we'll have to. I guess that's a, you know the off ice storyline tonight, right? Uh, which celebs are going to be in attendance in Florida? What's Brady Kachuk going to be drinking? Uh, is Brooks bringing the Wanamaker back two yeah. days later after bringing it for Game Three? He kind of did it last game. Mm-hmm. Do you get to do it again? Is do you get that trophy forever? I guess. Why I mean, not? it's really up to you. If you have it, um, it's still fresh. I mean, he's probably not bringing the Wanamaker to a you know a Cup final game, but maybe there's some more people that'll like to see it. Maybe. So I mean, if you hey, if you got it, bring it. Just wear it on a necklace and bring it wherever you want. Right. So it's <laughs> a little bigger. It's, it's, has he slept since the last game? I guess that's going to be the other question, too. Well, he didn't look like he'd snap, slept on the, uh, at game number three. Um, let's get to the cool bet lines for this, this game tonight before we finish up. Um, listen, I, I've, I've locked it in for our play for cool bet today. Uh, I took an L yesterday on the heat, thinking that the Celtics were done. The Hurricanes have to win this game, right? Yes. I mean, they have been the better team in at least two of these games. They haven't scored in forever. I mean, it, it has to happen. Like, I refuse to believe that the Florida Panthers are going to sweep the Carolina Hurricanes. So because of that, I'm riding with the Canes on the money line at minus 103 tonight, Reem. But uh, let's just say that the way things have gone lately, I don't have a huge level of confidence in it. But if I have to pick one of these two teams, I refuse to believe that Rod the Bod's team is going to get swept by Pomo and the Peas. I think I've picked every game wrong in this conference final because I was on Dallas. Yeah, Dallas has got to win one of these games, right? They got the better goalie. Uh, Carolina, well, they've outplayed Florida. They lost that first game in like four overtimes. And I mean, the the series of Carolina-Florida, incredibly close, two overtime games. One of them, as I said, going four. Last game, a one-goal game. Uh, Pabrovsky can't keep doing this, right? And that's something we've also said all all playoffs. So I still think Carolina has got to win one. It can't be a sweep. It reminds me of Toronto. We knew they were going to win that game four, only to lose game five at home. I'll go with Carolina, but I don't think they're going to win the series. But, you know, maybe they could because, as I said, every game's been close. You know, Florida seems to be winning these coin flips. And overtime, and they can't stop. Carolina can't stop hitting the post as well. So uh, feels like the '93 Habs, ten and zero in OT. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we'll have, we'll see, we'll we'll see. I'll pick Carolina. My funny, I I'm in two pools. One of them I needed Dallas. One of them I needed Carolina. I thought I would at least 
one of those teams would advance. That looks like we could have two sweeps. Never, never would have predicted that. Yeah, well, the Heat or the Celtics prevented a sweep. And by the way, this is very interesting. I and mean, if you do follow odds and lines, I mean, the NBA playoffs, there's never been a team that's come back from a 3 nothing deficit. The Celtics right now, after winning game four, are only plus 240 to win the series. Um, there's a lot of people that think that this game is going to get back to Miami for game six, and that is going to be game seven, if you will, for the Miami Heat. Um, Heat plus 250. For tomorrow night's game, uh, game five, Celtics minus 303. If you check the exclusives, Dusty and I also have a little exclusive for the, uh, it's under the golf boosted odds specials. Uh, we've got Jordan Spieth top 10 and Justin Rose and Ricky Fowler to crack the top 20 plus 1450 for that one. And uh, Pal P. Greggy's got one too. Vic Hovland, Tommy Fleetwood and Max Homa all to go to the top 20. That one is nine to one. Bunch of Blue Jays exclusives for tonight and some NHL daily exclusives. And the one thing, uh, I was down like many Jays fans were about the way that they played and kind of thought that, okay, this is a real slump. They're playing against Tampa. It's not happening last night. And then they win 20 to 1. Uh, tough matchup tonight, though. The uh, Shane McClanahan, 7 and 0 with the 2.05 ERA on the bump for the Rays. That being said, my guy, Kikuchi Ream, 5-1 and one on the season. Could it be Kikuchi time handing McClanahan his first loss of the season? Jays are plus 160 on the money line for this one tonight. Yeah, look at these exclusives. How about the Guerrero and or a Rosarina to hit a home run? Those guys have been pretty hot. Uh, Guerrero yesterday and man, Tampa. Uh, they've been so good. This season, and I was shocked to see the score in that game, like 20 to 1 for the Jays. You knew that their bats would wake up eventually, but you know, you want to spread it out over a couple of games, Huss. Not all in, all in one shot. Will they have any runs left over for today? McClanahan, he's pretty good. Well, I'm actually going to jump on this last exclusive, throw a couple bucks on it. Have a day, you say. As the president of the Kikuchi fan club, I feel I need to support him. Kikuchi, five plus strikeouts and a Jays win. Plus 345. Let's go, Cooch. Uh, so we'll lock that one in. You can check out coolbet.com for uh, all the odds. Check the exclusives as well for some boosted odds for you. And as I say, Dusty and I, new lock shop today. You can check that out on the uh, lock shop YouTube over at Lock Shop Bets. Give us a sub while you're there. And um, check it all out. And of course, get your golf picks in before a tee off tomorrow down at Fort Worth at Colonial. Uh, well, we've gone long. We got to get this. Uh, Get this pod up. But people that are excited for the basketball, like myself, we are going to have a real treat tomorrow. WST favorite, Mo Khan, coming back on the show tomorrow, Reem, to give us a bit of a CEBL primer. Mo has been calling games in Montreal for the last couple of years, knows the league as well as anyone. So we'll find out what we're getting into when things get going on Saturday. And I'm hoping to have Kirby Shep as well come in and talk a little NBA and a little Seabears. He knows many of the players that'll be suiting up for Winnipeg on Saturday. So uh, touch base with him before he heads overseas for uh, some Team Canada work for about the next month. So uh, if you're fired up for Seabears season, be with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk the next couple of days. 
Yeah, we are fired up. Uh, I think it's going to be a great event. Sold so many tickets. Should be a good atmosphere. So many they had to open up new areas. So uh, I think this is something people are talking. People are going to be in attendance for the first game of the new franchise here in Winnipeg. And I, I think this league is exciting. And I, uh, I like what Mike had to say about going back to 2019 when the Raptors made the final. I can't tell if that feels like it just happened or feels like it was so long ago. <laughs> I'm not sure where, I, where I'm landing on this one. Anything, anything pre-pandemic feels like a decade ago to me right now. And oh, Travis, yeah, thumbs up for Mo. Absolutely. It's been too long since we've had Mo on. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and Mary Jane, can't wait for the b-ball this coming weekend. Damn right I'm going to be there, Mary Jane. I would not miss it. I'm, I was there at the first Thunder game. Back in the uh, back in the '90s at the old arena, I think there was like eleven thousand people for that game. Uh, I'm not sure whether they'll get to eleven for this. I really have no idea what the crowd is going to be like. I'm assuming they're going with a lower bowl setup, but I can tell you that um, the looks like Winnipeg is going to set a new CB CEBL attendance record with the crowd on Saturday. So if you don't have tickets already, get to Ticketmaster and. Uh, I guess tomorrow in the show, Reem will be able to show off the jerseys because they are unveiling those at an event tonight. Yeah, we'll give her full jersey ratings. Loved, love sports fashion on here. So I've seen like their warm up jerseys. I like the colors, teal and uh, what do you open there? A pack of cards? Yeah, we're doing a, a farewell pack. Teal, yeah, teal and, you know, black. So, uh, We'll see. All right. What do you got there, Hustler? All right. Here we go. Just to finish off today's show, I've just cracked a pack of Tim Horton's Legends cards. Shout out oh. to my mom who dropped off a bunch of these. Here we are with Jacques Plante. These are actually amazing cards. I, I, I've got to give them credit. I love Upper Deck, but the, what Tim Horton's did, put it this way, I like the Tim Horton's cards a lot better than Tim Horton's food, but that's uh, another conversation for another day. Record books, Larry Robertson, first in plus minus ratio all time. The big bird, Larry Robinson. And what's very cool about these legends, Team Canada, women's team legend, Megan Acosta. Nice. Got a Jana Hefford as well. So uh, nice to see the women get in on these and some of the best Canadian players ever. I got a pack. I'm now kind of back in cracking packs last night. I busted a box of a uh, series one. And I do have, we'll do something special because I did buy a box of the uh, new CFL upper decks that came out. Uh, what last week? Yeah. I got a bunch of those that I got to open. I got them for my son when he we went to Tim Hortons, but they're for they're, your son. They're, yeah. For my son, they're actually for me. So uh, I'll have to get, I'll have to get to those. So we could do a, you know, an evening, Box room. I got a box of uh, some series one we could crack open. Maybe something we do in oh, the summer. Oh, wow. BA finishing off with just a terrible take in chat. Oh, yeah. BA, come on, man. My take the Sea Bears won't do well long term. Too many teams already. Too many teams. Like, what other basketball teams do we have? Am I, am I missing something? Um, like, dude. This is going to be, go out and check a game and see how different the demo at this basketball is game is going to be from what you see at a hockey game or at a, um, um, or we're at a bomber game even. Although bombers is, um, bombers have really nailed it right now. I mean, you get an incredibly diverse group out there. 
Uh, I can almost guarantee that this is going to be a big, big success. I mean, again, it's not Raptors. I mean, you know, we're not, you're not paying NBA prices, uh, but this is going to be supported well, especially with the local guys that they'll have in and around the team. And uh, no, I think this is going to be a home run. And I think that they are set to succeed more than any other team in the league because of the fact that they have by far the best venue in the league to play at the Canada Life Center. So, um, Anyways, I, I'm 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 saving. I'm bookmarking that one BA for freezing cold takes at the end of the season or in the future. And to be honest, even back in the World Basketball Association, back at the Thunder days, like the Thunder were so much more successful than everybody else in the league, and that was what was so unfortunate with the way that it ended. I mean, we barely got through the first season. I mean, teams were just falling by the wayside. That is not the case with this. This league has been healthy and growing every year, and uh, it's about time Winnipeg is in, and I think this city is going to really, really support it. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, ice, gold ice, bombers, jets, bears. Yeah, no kidding, man. I mean, this is this is cheap. There's only 10 games in the season. Um, don't, don't worry about the ice or the moose or any of that impacting uh, this. There's a huge basketball community of Winnipeg. A lot of people don't know about it, but they're going to find out about it if they pay attention to the Sea Bears. I can't wait for Saturday. And we'll talk about the league and the team coming up in the next couple of days to get you ready for the weekend. That being said, we got to run no live racing tonight. Wednesdays begin two weeks from today. Picks will be back on Monday and Tuesday with myself and Remus. And... Tonight, we do have first pitch, 6.30, down at the ballpark. And uh, then again, Saturday night, first Seabears game. We'll talk about it tomorrow with Mo Khan and get a little primer on what the CEBL is all about. Uh, great stuff today with Nigel Dawes. If you tuned in later, talked about his incredible career at the beginning of the show, check that out. Good stuff with Mike McIntyre. Thanks and good luck to Greg Taggart, Je- uh, Je- Gold Eyes manager tonight. And uh, join us tomorrow. Brandon Rewicki's going to jump on. As I mentioned, we'll get ready for CEBL season with Mo Khan. We'll have much more as well. Uh, tell a friend about WST. Hit the thumbs up on your way out and make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Have a great night, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.